Howdy everyone, and welcome to uh, episode 16 of the uh, Puri Puri podcast. Um, we very much hope you enjoyed our uh, trip down memory lane with Pride Fighting Championship in our last few episodes. Uh, today we have something uh, a little bit uh, different uh, for you. Uh, with me as always, we have uh, Daniel and David. How are you doing, lads? Hiya. How are you? How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm look- anticipating this sweet 16 and hoping, like the Ken Loach film, it will be a uh, somewhat um, harrowing, but essentially true to life and eventually uplifting um, look at, uh, at wrestling. <laughs> With less stabbing. With less stabbing. My favourite thing about sweet 16 is it is subtitled uh, whenever it's shown on UK television, because <laughs> it's all in like, yeah. Glaswegian, so it's like literally listening to this yeah. podcast, but with less sectarian references. <laughs> Which is a shame, I think uh, I think we could all agree. Um, so what we have uh, lined up for you uh, today is uh, a look at um, various gaijin who uh, wrestled in Japan over the years. But we're not talking about um, your Stan Hansons and your Steve Williamses, you know. Uh, rest- there are wrestlers who are primarily known for their work as uh, big menacing foreigners in Japan. There's no na- those names. There's also uh, Bruiser Brody, arguably most famous for that. Yeah. Um, Scott Norton, who um, if you if you only knew Scott Norton from WCW, you think he was just a mid card guy for life. But the guy was a two time IWGP oh, heavyweight yeah. champion, uh, main event at the Tokyo Dome, mm-hmm. um, like gigantic star. Um, oh, he's great. Yeah. I love Scott Norton. Yeah, he's 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 brilliant and like. Um, uh, and and of course the one the one we're missing guys is the uh, the genuine menace. Oh, Gary, Gary Albright, of course. <laughs> and um and also um more recently you've had um uh, Joe Doring in uh, in All Japan, um mm-hmm. and you've had um Carl yeah. Anderson. Joe Doring is is so is so taken to the Japanese lifestyle that he's actually managed to beat cancer just like uh, Kobe, Kobe Yeah, I was gonna say uh, what, a, what a what a what a homage. Like genuinely though, just like shout out to that man for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what an absolute hero! And he's and he's coming wonderful. back to wrestling, and he's still like story. he's uh, still as good as he ever he was. He won the yeah. fucking triple crown. <laughs> yeah, that, brilliant, fantastic. That is true. Have you ever have you seen the T-shirt where it's like a cartoon and he's like doing a lariat and this tumor is like flying out of his brain? <laughs> Oh, mate. It's it's so good. I really want one. Um, You've also got um, uh, Carl Anderson before he became uh, one of the Mitchell brothers in uh, WWE. And uh, the late Bison Smith in Pro Wrestling Noah, who was... um, They they sort of... Noah de-emphasised the uh, American talent. But they like, okay, we'll have one. We'll have one. Let's uh, just get this uh, big, roidy motherfucker. So there's... um, there's, Yeah, there's uh, Gaijin who are primarily famous for their work in Japan as opposed to in their home countries. However, we are not talking about... Those people today. We are talking about the uh, various luminaries of the so-called Hulkamania era in the World Wrestling Federation. So we are talking uh, Andre the Giant, Macho Man, Randy Savage, um, and of course uh, the uh, the elephant in the room, the big red veiny element. Element, uh, yeah, he's he's a fucking uh, he's a fucking uh, criminal element, is uh, allegedly. Um, <laughs> Um, Hulk Hogan himself, of course. Um, we're not going to talk about Hogan in this episode because we kind of need to steal ourselves for it. Uh, but we will be covering um, four matches from uh, various promotions and will take place over the course of uh, about a decade. So we've got quite a diverse mix of uh, wrestling matches uh, for you, which will hopefully uh, delight and titillate. So um, before we get on with our first match, just as a sort of preliminary thing... Um, Thoughts on the Hulkamania era? Like, does it does it float your boat, or is it something that you can you can take or leave? See, I mean, I've mentioned this um, before. 
I generally don't like wrestling that happened before I was born. I ha- I don't have a, I don't have a cultural context to it, and I find it a lot, lot harder to get into. I I in, I enjoy some of the Hulkamania stuff. I mean, like yeah, I mean there is some really 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 good stuff in there, and certainly a lot of the I think you find that the the TV is a lot it's a lot more functional than it is these days, mm. and I think it's a lot more of an easier watch. Like and it's still really good. I actually prefer a lot of the Hulkamania people later on like when it got to wcw as it could as weird as that might sound like i like and enjoyed when all these sort of elements get put in with maybe better workers yeah (laughs) (laughs) so to speak but um like they they, a lot there are a lot of people from that era that i I really enjoy but um i mean put it this way i'm not sticking on a wrestling challenge any you know um on my day off or anything like that I mean, I think with the when when we talk about Hulkamania, it's important to kind of separate it out a little bit. And there's there's two, three maybe distinct periods of it. Certainly in the WWF. Me personally, um, I find it to be a very it's a difficult question to answer in some ways because my my answer is is just going to be instinctively, well, how can I not? Because without it, really, I don't know if I if I'd even be into wrestling. I don't even know if I'd ever have discovered it. Um, you know, um, because it was even kind of the um, the um, uh, when I was sort of growing up, uh, sort of around the time that SummerSlam was on in the UK in the early nineties, that kind of thing. When I really got into wrestling, it was still by far the, the kind of presence that hung over it and the um, the figure that hung over it in terms of popular culture was still Hulk Hogan. People would still say, "Oh, wrestling, WWF." So that's uh, that Hulk Hogan stuff, right? Um, so to me, it's kind of difficult to answer because. Um, I don't really have an objective uh, uh, view on it. It's just something which um, is, it's kind of always, always been there. When I go back and watch it, I have different opinions depending on what I'm watching. But I think the period that I can kind of work out would be your initial kind of the, the, the rise um, of um, of Hulk Hogan as a, a as a pushed commodity um, in um, in the WWF, um, kind of um, after the um, the uh, the Rocky Two stuff um, and um, onto the kind of rock and wrestling era. Um, which gives you the first WrestleMania. Then after that, you've got um, kind of the mid period of um, of Hulkamania, which I think kind of uh, begins to um, kind of peak and then go down a bit, then peak just slightly again in the sort of 1990 period when you've got um, WrestleMania six and the title versus title against Warrior uh, um, as well. And then we're really after that kind of on the slide of it, um, and that company as a whole for a good few years, um, you know, after that. So there's there's kind of three different. Uh, periods of it to, to look at really but no um i um i've got a lot of affection uh, a lot of affection for it it's um wrestling pushed to its nth degree on tv as a product uh, and that's both a good thing and a really kind of hyper real bizarre um kind of sugary like almost drug-induced experience at some point um so yeah, yeah. i think there there's a lot like in terms of like the archetypal wrestling i really like a lot of it was from this era so this is where that all began i mean you look at i'll always like go go nxt it being like my favorite tv show in terms of the model in which you know the the way it works isn't you'll usually have like a sort of a good match as a main event on a on the a weekly mm-hmm. show and then it'll be a bunch of squashes and stuff like that and yeah. i feel that that's the perfect just quick matches yeah, yeah just like showcase matches to you know give yeah. give people a bit of a shine and that they have jobbers and stuff on NXT. They do, they do, and I I love jobbers and stuff like that. And a lot yeah. of that has fingerprints in this era because before then, it, I I would argue it wasn't necessarily 
Uh, like this, this kind of re- reinvented the wheel, showed you how people, how wrestling could be on television. It's not all, you know, um, you know, smoke-filled Stockport Guild Hall matches uh, on ITV. Um, like, you know, there's a lot of razzmatazz to it, and I am a big fan of razzmatazz, so. Yeah, like, um, I mean, I, I, I mean, I did grow up with it either, you know, so we have mates who are sort of in their mid-30s, and they have a lot more affection for this era because of it's it's what the wrestling they knew uh, when they grew up. I mean, I started watching in two thousand and one. This was sort of long over as far as I uh, as as far as I go. Uh, but like, I didn't have much uh, sort of time for the era until I started watching uh, OSW. And like, I mean, they're like you know big experts in the field, and their sort of retrospective of all the pay-per-views, I think, really got over to me exactly what was appealing about that era. Because, yeah, if you're just looking for it purely in terms of um, quote-unquote work rate in the traditional sense, yeah, obviously you're going to be disappointed because, like, half the roster looked like fucking um, a load of bowling balls with some skin stretched over them. Like, you're not going to get good matches out of people shaped like the Warlord. Uh, for instance, but what people, what it, oh, 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 don't you know? <laughs> Batista's favorite wrestler, don't you know? Come back to that in an episode, and uh, you can get very good matches. You were really watching for the matches, but in terms of the whole presentation of it, was absolutely revolutionary, just in terms of, and it really left everyone else in the dust, um, in particular, uh, player AWA or even uh, Jim Crockett. It really blew the way in terms of the spectacle of wrestling, uh, like you said, this sort of uh, hyper-reality oh, yeah. of it. And also uh, the the characters. Uh, there's so many memorable gimmicks and also um, some fantastic promos. I mean, just thinking of... Um, I know Hulk Hogan is a, an inveterate shitter, but um, like the guy could talk. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of, allegedly, a lot of coke going around in the locker room. Uh, back then, maybe accounts for some of the verbiage um, that you uh, and people who oh, we'll people that. whose eyes are just a little too wide, it's a little too wide for comfort. There's something of the uh, uncanny valley about it. So I think if you if you get into this stuff, um, you know, yeah, it is very story based. And uh, if you were just to watch the uh, the weekly TV shows, um, it might become a bit of a chore because um, even NXT like you will have at least one competitive match and often often more whereas you know an episode of wrestling challenge might be nothing but squash matches and uh, talking segments and stuff yeah. like that it might become a little bit I mean, wearing the 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 positive of that is of course that um people go into the pay-per-views looking strong because they've been and this is something NXT does very well and uh, they sort of keep apart the the wrestlers so you have these dream matches um and and so you you can actually build interest that way it's not like um you know there's no real dream matches uh on the roster um with people who've been on you know raw smackdown for any longer than six months because we've seen them wrestle everyone in uh various combinations and often like week after week after week against the uh, same opponents it's like uh, someone said to me if um if WWE worked in the 80s like it, like it does now, we would have seen Hogan versus Warrior half a dozen times on free TV uh, before <laughs> before yeah. we got to uh, WrestleMania. Yeah, so those are the things. But yeah. basically what we wanted to do with this uh, episode is look at what happens when these big larger-than-life characters uh, that we all know and love from uh, the Hulkamania era were pitched into an environment that was very much different from uh, from the one uh, that we know them for. 
basically. So that's the uh, the upshot of it. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, it's uh, interesting what you said about um, uh, the TV stuff before, because I think that really does affect how you... It, it, it really affects like the historical memory that we associate with these um, with a lot of the, the, these workers, right? Because um, what Vince did was to so heavily individually brand everything on that show um that when you watch it just little things like uh, the fact that every single wrestler has a logo yeah right you don't see it all the time you know but, but it'll be used on certain bits of merchandise or it'll be used on certain idents or it'll be used on certain um sort of um, um, um stuff that things they've recorded earlier um and then when you as you said when you contrast that to the pro wrestling tv at the time anyone can go that's got the network go watch an old episode of like um of any kind of um um, um, a Crockett show um, in the run-up to a pay-per-view, right? You'll often get... It's a, a wrestling in a studio, not brilliantly lit, and often it will have the same jobber having more than one match on the show. Like, literally, it's the Italian Stallion against, uh, you know, like, uh, Ricky Morton. And then next, it's the Italian Stallion, you know, teaming with someone else against, like, you know, uh, the Midnights. Yeah. Or, or, or whoever it is they've got in the territory at the moment. It's just, like, it's so amateurish when you compare it. So I think that combination of Vince just being the ultimate hype man on TV with um, sort of general levels of, um, um, as David said, like razzmatazz, Japanese razzmatazz as well, makes something quite uh, quite um, arresting <laughs> visually and uh, in terms of, uh, you know, um, keeping you, you gripped for a while. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, whatever we may think about Vince McMahon personally and, you know, some of the latter day decisions that he's taken, there is no doubt that the man captured something in the zeitgeist um, with... Uh, mm. The, the his, 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 genius. his yeah genius with his guy. vision of uh, pro wrestling and in particular the whole era with uh, Hulk Hogan at the forefront because he very much like um for all that um we may think nowadays that if you want someone to be the face of your company you kind of have to build them up gradually uh, not a bit of it with uh, with Hogan he was a heel in the uh, WWF he got um uh, let go in 1980 uh, supposedly because um his appearance in Rocky Three had exposed the business he went to uh, AWA. So this was Vince's dad who uh, who let him go, and then yep. Vince Junior looked at him and was like, "Okay, I'm in charge now. Now I want this guy to be the face of my company." Signed him, and within a month he was champion, and he was the he was the face of the company. That was it. They just did one promo. Where it was like, "Okay, I don't want uh, classy Freddie Blassie to be my manager anymore. I'm a changed man. I'm going to fight for America against the uh, the, the the Iron Sheik." And his uh, rampaging boner, by yeah. the way, which you can see at the uh, the end of that match when he's got yeah. Hogan in the camel clutch, he is uh, he is packing a, a serious caber. Yeah, it's interesting as well that Hogan was actually originally intended to be one of these. Um, uh, I think that the, the term that they would have used at the time would have been these kind of um, uh, patriotic ethnic kind of first second generation um, baby faces, yeah. right? So someone like a Bruno or a Pedro Morales or whatever, yeah. like um, you know, uh, Hogan was supposed to be your Irish version, your Irish, believe it or not, version of that. Yeah, a, an Italian American, uh, uh, Terry Belair, his uh, his uh, real name, playing yeah. uh, playing an Irishman, the most Irish man. Yes, of at all least time. like Bruno was. Bruno was actually Harvard. born in uh, Abruzzi in Italy, and uh, Pedro Morales, to the best of my knowledge, was legitimately Puerto Rican, which was the. Um, the ethnic group oh, yeah. in New York he was meant to appeal to. To be fair, Hulk Hogan has had a pint of Guinness and O'Neill since St. Patrick's Day with one of those hats on. So, you know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean what we need to remember is that um, uh, Terry Belair does does have Brewer's Droop because of drinking too much Guinness, but Hulk Hogan <laughs> does. Yeah. Um, That's true. 
Hulk Hogan has seen the crying game a hundred times. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm really looking forward to just like getting into like the the uh, there's a very good article. Uh, I can't remember the guy who wrote it. It's called "The Mad Lies of Hulk Hogan." It's very worth uh, checking out. But we're not we're not talking yeah. about Hogan in this episode. So uh, let's kick on oh, with yeah. the uh, first of our matches. So the uh, first match we're going to be looking at on this episode, we're just going to go in uh, chronological order. And that means that the first match we've picked out for you is a bona fide classic. Uh, it is from oh. New Japan Pro Wrestling on the 23rd of September 1981. And it is uh, Andre the Giant versus Stan Hansen. Seems. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. The, oh, uh... my days. Like, <laughs> this, is, this, was... this, is, this is a wrestling match, ladies and gentlemen. This is the fucking wrestling. This match. is wrestling. This was top of the list of of the matches that I was like, okay, we absolutely have to do this because I think we've mentioned Stan Hansen, but we've never really uh, sort of talked about him in depth, which is a bit of an oversight considering we're sixteen episodes in. Um, and uh, Andre the Giant, obviously, a uh, huge deal in the uh, the Hulkamania era. So um, you know, got got to include him now. This is 1981, Andre. Now, if if you if you think about uh, if your image of Andre the Giants that you have in your mind is of him from WrestleMania three, which is in 1987, where he's you know suffering very much from the uh, the effects of gigantism. He's clearly in a lot of pain. He, he can't move very well. Um, Good lord, gigantism! <laughs> too much nerve tonic. Um, he's. Um, uh, in this match, like it is, it is like watching a different man. And even then, like uh, go back and look at his stuff from like the early seventies. There's a match from uh, 1968. Uh, you posted uh, recently, Daniel, against oh. a notoriously uh, notoriously mega penis German wrestler Franz Van Boyten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, hung um, like a baboon. Yeah. <laughs> like um, as William Regal said, you, you just had to, you just had to applaud. He just had to stand up and applaud. Yeah. Um, Do you think that it was it was large in both um, in length and girth? I imagine it was some, not quite a chode, but like I imagine it was. Uh, imagine it was girthy. Yes. Um, <laughs> proportionate. Proportionate. Yeah. No. Just to just to just to just magnify it a bit. That's all. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's okay because it, it, it's not how big it is. It's what you do with it that counts. Um. So yeah, nineteen eighty one, uh, Andre the Giant. Um, like, uh, he's he's not just mobile; he is absolutely fucking huge. And you, um, you you really get the sense of like Stan Hansen was like six foot six, three hundred and fifty pounds, and he looks like a small man uh, compared mm. with uh, with Andre. Like it's uh, and you know uh, Hansen at this point in Japan was uh, fairly new, but already like well established. He'd been there a few years, but he'd yeah. uh, he had a, a main event run in uh, New Japan. Uh, he had made it to the final of their tournament uh, with the one that preceded the G One uh, three years in a row. He never won it, uh, but he was a uh, and he was he was the top foreign wrestler in the promotion. always the braid made never the braid. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't until all Japan that he really became uh, you know when, when you know Japanese people of a certain age. If you say foreign wrestler they will think of stan hansen like the guy was um was that well was that well known to be fair as well yeah. i would say at this point um i also love his mental music that he has uh, which sounds like you know how to run a game show and there was like levels of contestants you had to fight against you know like the final boss at the end to win yes. the six grand that that would be the music mm. that a game show final boss would have I, I can i can actually play that on the bass <laughs> like I, I had to learn it by ear, but like it was fucking worth it. It's absolutely bad. Are you talking about Irma Hansen's theme or Andre's theme? 
Andre's theme is great as well. Oh, Hanson's theme, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's uh, called Sun- Sunrise, I think. Uh, it's, it's, a very, it's a very good yeah, song. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like um, this um, is um, uh, maybe a, a, a lot of people's, um, one of the, the first matches they might think of going to when they start trying to explore Andre um, outside of how he's most commonly um, known in, um, say, the, the States and the UK, um, and trying to go back a little bit and find things. You know, it's a the man uh, res, the wrestle me podcast compared to Alistair Cook after they replaced all his bones with pipes in that weird Undertaker stand. <laughs> <laughs> so if you replaced all the bones of pipes, um, that is Andre the Giant. I, I thought you meant Alistair Cook, the test the test cricketer for a minute. I was like, he's no, not he's the, not of a comparable build. No, no, the the letter from the the letter from America broadcaster, um, yeah. who yeah. yeah, he was in a scam where he stole all his bones and replaced them with pipes and then sold them on for transplants. <laughs> Everything's made of pipes. Yeah, I I know what I know what you mean. Like, cause like this is sort of okay. You you know, you know about Andre um, outside of um, outside of uh, WWF. Yeah, this probably is going to be the uh, the first one that you come to and. Sort of nowadays in Japan, the matches with no Japanese interest can suffer from a sort of lack of crowd heat. At the moment, uh, Sarah and I are watching the five star Grand Prix in Stardom, and like they've because it's a you know it's a tournament, they've had to have foreign wrestlers face yeah. off against each other at uh, certain times, and there hasn't really been much heat for it, and they've tended to keep the matches kind of short as a, as a consequence. Like the crowd atmosphere for this is uh, absolutely off the charts. Um, ah. Molten. Oh, oh yeah, it's unreal. Like it's, yeah, um, it's I mean the the uh, I mean you get uh, it, it starts off very hot. Like uh, ha- uh, Andre's uh, second out on uh, Hanson tries to rush him as he comes through the ropes and gets big booted, and then like the uh, the sort of slender demure looking women with the who are going to do the presentation of the flowers have to scarp her like pretty damn quick. Yeah, they, they, they have to flee. Yeah, just immediate yeah. carnage, just straight to the scrap. Do you know what yeah, it reminded it's... me of? It reminded me of um, the start of this match. Reminds me of. Um, do you know that um, that old advert on British television, um, which will translate terribly to anyone that isn't British listening? Uh, but um, uh, was uh, the, the big belly rolling down the hill? Yes. Yes. It's like all of a sudden these these poor people just stood there holding the flowers, thinking, "Oh well, just hand them over the uh, the, the, the nice sportsmanlike wrestlers, and our day's work is done." Like, and then just this big. Like sort of belly, this like big, just a, a bunch of skin and sweat, just like hurtles together and just like crashes into the center of the ring uh, and just starts wailing on each other, you know, with a big kick. Uh, Handsome fells Andre a little bit early with some headbutts and stuff, um, and it just it starts out in a really chaotic manner, and it's brilliant because it gets the crowd right into it. Yeah, it's it's absolutely brilliant. Like, um, it's it's kind of strike heavy. The opening, we're not talking strikes like you know, fucking you know. You're sort of at junior heavyweights nowadays. Do we're talking like bionic elbows, like big cartoonish <laughs> headbutts and stuff like that? So uh, good to see the bionic elbow getting a run out. Love seeing the bionic elbow get a run out. I I also very much like Andre's tactic at the start, where anytime Hanton tries to get something going, Andre just like embraces him like your aunt at the airport, like um, just like I'm going to get something <laughs> going. No bear hug, going to uh, squeeze the life out of you. That's uh, that's it's that's good, very it's good. good. It's good because he does. Yeah, he, he does bear hug, um, uh, and there's a particular spot with the bear hugs where you've got um, Hanson trying to get out out here with those headbutts. But he does also do a thing, Andre, where he's he's still agile enough to be um, uh, to be able to 
put a lot of um, convincing power into everything that he does. But he's also got this thing where he's kind of at the that the, the size where he's still able to be agile, but also because of that, he kind of knows how to fall more um, than he than he does uh, yeah. sort of later on. There's a lot of him just like um, you know slamming Hanson with a big shot, and then maybe just smothering him with one knee on the floor, but falling yeah. into him on the ropes. Everything yeah. looks really um, kind of um, un. Un, um, it, it, it unpolished. You really don't feel like, like he's acting. You know, you really do feel like it's um, it's happening in real time. He's sort of breaking down a little bit, or he's just angry, or he's just stupid, and it's it's really interesting. Yeah, Espe- especially Hanson, like Hanson Gardens, like you know, like he's trying to win a contest mm. in a pub in Middle England. Uh, he he's does. gunning away. He, he, he's at, like top tier gunner, uh, Stan Hanson, sitting there going. Yeah, it's ridiculous. He's gurning more than the uh, the person that I found in that bin at Fresher in 2005. <laughs> <laughs> I think we might need an episode just on that story. The, uh, <laughs> this is going to be like that Piss Dungeon story of, uh, from Vice, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, there was no piss involved this night, but uh, I, I don't think that would have helped that person's situation. <laughs> the... The yeah, the thing about Andre in this like it's a sort of force of nature type of thing. He's not very coordinated, um, but like he's just coming for you. It's kind of like when in like some of his big nineties All Japan matches, like Stan Hansen would do a, a fucking suicide dive through the ropes, and it was the most yeah. un- <laughs> it's the most ungainly thing you ever saw, but it just looked amazing because it's just this massive man just like basically falling on you. There's no horizontal yeah. momentum there. <laughs> <laughs> it's really believable. It's like when you're younger and you're watching wrestling, right? What's the one move that you think, nah, that, that would just be it? it it's done. It's like Yokozuna's like big fucking um, like a uh, 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 drop, or it's like oh, the Banzai drop. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, you know, it's like oh, well, no one can get up from that, right? <laughs> just you know. Yeah, it's um, exactly right. Like um, there's uh, yeah, this is kind of um, they they sort of tease the body slam early, which is uh, fairly common thing in the big Andre matches. Um, yeah. uh, and then Andre, like Hansen sort of uh, does the all me back sort of thing. Andre does a hammerlock <laughs> and then, uh, you know, like the thing where he sort of wrenches the opponent's arm over their shoulder. Like, like Hansen must have had to be on bloody tiptoes to uh, to take that from uh, from Andre. Like, uh, but One of my favourite uh, parts of this is that when he's working the army, he headbutts it. But when he headbutts <laughs> it and reels back, he's like, ah, Fucking hell! What did what did I do that for? Like you can clearly see his face. He's like, ah, oh, fuck! I shouldn't have done that. Um, clearly, yeah. some Samoan blood in him. Um, yeah. And, and it's, I think, Andre, I think these some of these spots are really interesting because um, a lot of these um, you see in um, sort of Andre, obviously, who, who by dint of being Andre is working on top for most of it. Um, but yeah. it's kind of interesting to see Hanson in that respect as well because um, Hansen obviously working underneath has to make um, these little um, kind of spirited comebacks occasionally that have to be well timed um, and that's kind of quite rare throughout his career in, in Japan when he's um, uh, you know um, 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 in terms of uh, here he's being the, he's definitely the fan favourite um, oh yeah there's a chance for him as much as there is one um, yeah, and yeah, yeah, also yeah. Um, he's you know such a, a huge guy that he'd often be physically uh, considered to be the sort of um, the, the better of his opponents um, automatically physically in a lot of matches um, in in Japan, um, and here he is, sort of um, having to work underneath. But then he does these um, really interesting things because he actually reminds me um, a little bit of um, totally different wrestlers. But he reminds me um, of um, what Ricky Steamboat says about um, offense, and he, um, he used to say that. Um, well, my attitude to it is that I don't, um, I'm, I'm the babyface. I'm going to be getting beaten up for a lot of the match, but 
in with every three punches they give me, I just give them one little thing tight the back, even if it looks a bit hopeless. Because it keeps up that sense, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, it, it's, it's good. But for, for a man who presumably didn't work uh, babyface for uh, much of his career, it's a, it's a, it's a good babyface performance uh, for him. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, and as well as that, um, heel performances, I think Andre, he really threw himself into this, especially even just the total pantomime facial expressions, like yeah, you know, yeah. goading the crowd. Oh, 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 oh. And just, shut yeah. up! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! I think he was, was great. He was a guy who was aware of how he looked and he knew how to make himself seem uh, monstrous, you know, and like he would have learned that. Back back when he was uh, working in France, um, and was you know probably more of a sort of I guess not freak show attraction, but you know you you know what I mean, like the sort of like yeah uh, yeah sort of wonder of the world as he was uh, in and all the size of this lad. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. like how many how many men of his size would you see uh, working the arm uh, of Hanson? Yeah. Like and uh, does a vertical suplex, which he definitely wasn't doing in. Uh, uh, 1987, and um, and he's he's. I, he, I love the weird suplex because Andre didn't take a back bump, a back bump. He he did a seated bump. It was sort of like a like a falcon arrow. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like more like as if he was hitting a falcon arrow, but still suplexing the guy like a normal vertical suplex. And clearly it's because well, he's a massive fuck off lad who can't really be you know sprawling himself out across the map, but. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very interesting and weird, but um... yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think the other thing about um, Andre's offense in in, in this and um, um, I also want to say offense is why do we don't say offense when we're talking about that in wrestling and then defense in basketball, even though we're in anyway. Um, so uh, the idea that um, you know, and this idea that obviously when you've got big guys, David, as you're attested, you're a big fan mm-hmm. of big lads, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got say your giant babbers say. Chop, his chop is meant to hurt more um, within the narrative because he's this comparatively big guy. Uh, it's like the same thing all re- the wrestling logic, Carly, etc. It might yeah. be, you know, this. Um, or oh, the brain chop, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but there's a real, there's a real relish and kind of um, barely disguised sadism about Andre uh, that he, when he would put on holds in Japan during this time uh, that I really, really, really like. He just looks like he's, um, he, he enjoys hurting people. Which is um, something that obviously later Andre um, can sometimes be criticised for, other than his immobility, is um, his lack of mo- you know mobility, is um, him not really seeming. You know, he's almost too much of a nice guy at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Whereas in this, he's really, you know, you do see him in a completely different light, and you realise how many stages there is to Andre's career when you see him like this, because this is the, the sort of the, the uh, 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 a time in the sort of early 80s that uh, where he's doing stuff like this in Japan he's working all over the world as well uh, so you've got this area you've got the you know the area where, where he's working the territories in the states and Canada but then you've got the area that we've now been able to rediscover before that George was just um, uh, making reference to before like stuff like the Franz Van Boyten match which is just yeah. phenomenal um to see him working so young i think still a teenager maybe or in his early 20s um and just looking so again physically different you know, as as well, it's uh, and then you've got the latest stuff in W uh, uh, with the fact that you know almost uh, to, to the road to WrestleMania three and then beyond and, and the decline. But you know, it's these like it's this epic sort of stages of this uh, life and career, which was just like so massive on every level. Like, you know? And and if you're interested, if you're interested in his earlier uh, stuff in Japan, because he was by no means new at this point. Um, he had been resting in the uh, 
70s for a promotion called uh, IWE, which uh, doesn't really get a lot of attention, but uh, it was founded. Yeah. It was founded in the mid 60s by a guy called Tierna Boy, who was the um, he was the president of JWA, which had been Ricky Dozan's promotion, and um, Tierna Boy had uh, got. Uh, shit canned from the JWA because he was in a, a huge amount of gambling debt. Uh, to say this man liked to flutter, um, he had um, uh, actually moved into uh, taken up lodgings in the home of the editor of like Japan's biggest horse racing paper so that he could uh, <laughs> keep his ear to the ground for tips. So this was his promotion and um, uh, Why did he just buy the paper? I don't Japanese know. Japanese wrestling sponsored by Ladbrook. <laughs> Matters more when there's money on it. And um, and but basically, um, but remember when the fun stops, stop. <laughs> Bet in play, nah. Um, so, um, but I, IWE was like actually really ahead of its time in terms of some of the hardcore matches. They uh, did a cage match uh, in I think nineteen seventy three or seventy four, like uh, like uh, really ahead of their time in terms of uh, the hardcore yeah. elements. And uh, Andre wrestled under the name uh, Monster Rusimov there, which uh, Rusimov was his. That's uh, right. Sort of Bulgarian descent. Yeah, that was his. Uh, that was his name. So, um, yeah, yeah, check some of that stuff out. Um, and uh, also, um, yeah, to check out the uh, the big spot in this match, which is um, uh, after Andre sort of does the uh, Mark Henry just left a skip mark on that boy uh, move. You know, when they're in the ropes, he uh-huh. sort of sort of jumps on them with his ass, um, like. Uh, so he, he does well, that. Going to get their wigs split. He does that move, and then. Um, uh, Big Stan just body slams the six hundred pound giant brother, um, and in yeah, uh, a move referenced by thousands of VLs on DVD VR who go, "Well, actually, it wasn't <laughs> the first time at WrestleMania three when they got body slammed." Stan Hansen did it in Japan, but you've not seen it because you're you're not as a bigger wrestling fan as he. Fuck yeah. off! Yeah, it's like the, there is actually a uh, YouTube compilation. You even know who Phil Schneider is. <laughs> there is actually a YouTube compilation of like every um, sort of filmed instance of Andre the Giant uh, getting body slammed. I mean, Hulk Hogan had fucking done it before in the WWF. Yeah. Like, never mind at. Yeah, the... but they they worked around the circuit at one point yeah, together. Exactly, and, and uh, that. well, that was the thing. Like, uh, Hulk, like Vince McMahon said to Hogan, "This is going to be a main event program," and. Uh, and Hogan said, well, we've already done it. And Vince said, yeah, but most of our fans only started watching wrestling in, like, 1986. So, um... Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, but there's some interesting names on the list. Uh, Kanek in uh, Mexico. Uh, yeah. the Giants a huge attraction. Um, uh, Kamala's done it. Oh, yeah. There's actual footage of, Kam- of, uh, of Kamala body slamming uh, Andre the Giant. So, there you go. Fair enough. Um, it's about... Former four, four of Brian Danielson. Yes, Kamala. a ROH title challenger, uh, exactly. Kamala. That's yeah. a fucking, that's a fucking. Oh, that's brilliant. I, I, can I just have to take a moment, just very briefly, just say I'm really glad we live in a world where that exists. I'm so glad that happened. I wish Kamala had won the ROH title. Uh, like the the <laughs> oh. heart of his work rate era, just Kamala, the Ugandan savage. It was. It was a. Uh, it was is, a. Is it bad that I? I think that I genuinely think that. Okay, <laughs> this is. I'm going to throw this out there. Hot take. I genuinely think that Samoa Joe could have got a good match out of Kamala at one point in real life. Yeah, of course he could. What? What I like yeah, about I don't just mean, I don't just mean it because they're both all, like like one of them's like the stereotypical old school, um, you know, really sort of insensitive ethnic stereotype, uh, and the other one is like the new breed of like um, 
pretty um not really you know um, um not really anything to do with the stereotypical Samoan wrestler like much more technical. That would be a nice in- instance anyway. But just because I just like to see both big lads smashing each other about, like, it'd be brilliant. <laughs> you know, Kamala Shimming didn't do conference. the job like in that match. It was a DQ finish. Like against against oh, Brian Danielson, it was on some like Indian fucking like it wasn't actually in ROH, but like it was the because uh, ROH hate fun and always have and women don't forget that, but like um, <laughs> um yeah, so um uh, Hanson uh, he has the decency to like look look like he fucking dies after um, yeah. body slamming uh, Andre the Giant, um, and then he um. Misses the elbow drop, which he actually used as a finisher in uh, WCW in the early nineties. Uh, because yeah. again, yeah. it's like Big Show's punch. Yeah, he's a big lad; you buy it as a finisher. So he misses that, but gets yeah. in control with some stomps and a, a camel clunch. A camel clutch. And he's a camel, camel clutch. I do say camel, camel clunge. That's a uh, that's a, a very different thing. Um, yeah, the camel clutch. <laughs> a young Alexander Rusev clearly <laughs> buying all Japan tapes because this is literally the accolades. This is full on same man. Oh, yeah. Rusev absolutely nicked the accolade motion from motion from this fucking match. And, like, Andre also prizes apart the hands of the camel clutch. Yeah, Yeah. he does. Like, that was was amazing. And then, like, Hansen just starts, like, mashing him in the back of the head with his elbows and his knees. It's really horrible. This this comes to one of my my total wrestling kinks, one of my favourite things in wrestling is um, the struggle in a submission. So like, you know how you see submissions nowadays and you just put on the hold and they'll be yeah. the ropes and that's a bit... You don't actually see them like, oh, moving or it. squirming, yeah, writhing about or anything like that. You know, but in this, you could see that like you know they were trying to escape, prize apart the hands, you know. There, there was an absolute a sense of struggle in terms of Hanson trying to keep the hold on and Andrews get rid of the hold. You don't, you don't, it's a lost art these days, but... Keep going, I'm nearly there. Keep going, I'm nearly there. Well, this is the difference between uh, the psychology of Alberto Del Rio's armbar, where he just does a fully extended armbar, and then the um, and then the person. But George, you were sending a message to the locker room. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> um, <laughs> and right. then, like, so he so he puts the armbar on, and the armbar's in, and then the person has to try and get to the ropes, as opposed to the way uh, Takara would do it in UWFI, where you know like, it would be like an MMA fight. They would like be like trying to link their hands to stop the armbar getting fully extended. If it was fully extended, then that would be the finish. Yeah. So, which is a lot more interesting and exciting. Um, but um, they end up then about outside the ring, Hanson and Andre. Um, Andre's beating on him, smacking each other's heads off the apron. And then they get the old uh, 80s yeah. promo special, the double count out. Um, yes. If, if, you, oh, if yeah. you haven't watched much wrestling from like... Yeah, from pre, like, say, 1990... Um, and you may think that because I remember there was a big uh, hoo ha in this year's G One about like a load of Tamatonga matches uh, ending in uh, disqualification, um, and I was like, you know, look at some of the old. They took umbrage. Yeah, yeah. Well, you you didn't get it so much in nineties old Japan, but you did in eighties old Japan. You look at some of the um, uh, draw sheets for like old Champions Carnivals. Uh, there's just yeah. they actually stopped doing them because no one would job to uh, to any to anyone. Uh, so there was just like so many double count outs and time limit draws and disqualifications and double disqualifications. And it, it, I was going to say it's it's like in, um, in 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 books by wrestlers like autobiographies by like really um, bad um, uh, sort of badly written ones by uh, sort of former wrestlers or ghostwriters. Um, and often it, you feel like every page is just um, like um, an avalanche of them ending sentences with. 
And of course, the whole thing just finished in a big melee or a big mess or a big schmage. Like, that's yeah. like every anecdote. Needless to say, I had the last laugh. Like, <laughs> I ended up in a schmage. <laughs> the, every match ends up in a schmage. The, uh, yeah, I mean, like, it wasn't really until uh, sort of the late 80s, early 90s where the big companies started doing. Um, virtually entirely clean finishes because of um, people have come to expect them because of shoot style companies yeah. like um, UWF, where you never had a, big a DQ finish. Yeah, Pillars era, all Japan, wasn't it? Like... Yeah, exactly. And you didn't have that sort of get out. And you know, um, and, uh, when it, there was a DQ, very rarely, it never happened in the big uh, matches. It'd be like on the undercard in the comedy match, there might be a DQ, but that was it. Um, so yeah, you, really rough. So back in the eighties, you would have double count out finishes, particularly between the big uh, wrestlers and the big foreign wrestlers, like all the time. So that's what we get here. Uh, Hanson's very annoyed. Some white guy comes to uh, argue with the ref. Um, I've now got in my notes Andre does the old Patrick Vieira, and I have no fucking idea like I, what I mean by that. Do you know what I mean by I that, Daniel? Because I've got a fucking idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have no idea what you mean by that. But in reference to the guy before. Um, you were talking about the, uh, the, 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 you said there was the, 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 the old white dude that pops up. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure that is one of the heads of one of the territories that Andre was working in at the time. I oh, brilliant. I think, I think it might be one of the, um, Canadian promoters. What, what, what was it? Was it Stu Hart? It's a man who smokes 80 a day, drinks four <laughs> yeah. bottles of bourbon. He's only, every... he's only 32 in it. <laughs> Drinking has ruined my life. I'm 31 years yeah. old. Yeah, you, you guys know I'm only 14, don't you? Uh... <laughs> so Hanson uh, wants some more of Andre. Uh, so they're sort of trying to get. Oh, he's, he's get him some more. Absolutely gagging for it. Hanson as well. Hanson's reading first up. Yeah, and uh, the ref says something, and the the crowd goes mad. So it seems like the match has been restarted. Stan Hanson leads off with a fucking arm drag. <laughs> Fucking Lucha Stan. Is this Segunda Caída, George? El Hijo del fucking Hansen here. Like not not only that, but like he does the arm drag and the ref gets knocked over from the seismic impact of Andre taking it. And I totally buy it. I totally buy it. It's 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 like if like if you go in the earthquake simulator or the Natural History Museum, like like <laughs> that is the ref during this match, and there's all like tinned Japanese goods on the on the wall. <laughs> they better still have that at the museum. I'm gonna seem like a right wally. Yeah, just like there will be soon in Brexit Britain. FBP, <laughs> FBP, taking back control. Um, and <laughs> then uh, we know they're different things before anyone gets at us. Yeah, that's the joke. <laughs> Andre gets tied in the ropes, which by Mania Six, when he was uh, tagging with uh, Haku, was basically the only thing he could do. Uh, then he does the, <laughs> does the same to Hanson. Hanson ends up tied in the ropes. Uh, more headbutts, and uh, Hanson is very woozy. At this point, I realise the ropes are really loose. It's like your your <laughs> indie show at your local community hall. Looks like a fucking sign and Coswave. It looks like Jody Fleiss <laughs> would be bumping up back and forth on them in like nineteen ninety six, and then refusing to job. Um, <laughs> Love you, Jody. Um, uh, Hanson bonks Andre's head off the turnbuckle, uh, gets a falling elbow. Uh, Andre somehow blocks the elbow and then reverses it into a kind of Americana. 
Yeah. I I guess yeah. like um To be fair, it's as, it's as good as anything we saw in the uh, in the uh, the Giant Silver match. Right? It's it's like it's like uh, Don DeLillo's uh, post 1970s output in that it's not quite Americana. <laughs> as if you just referenced Don DeLillo. That's <laughs> That's that's your highbrow literary reference for this episode now. Fuck off. Um, yeah, done. <laughs> that's, it, that's all you got. Uh, Andre gets up and then some uh, headbutts to the spine. <laughs> Which I oh, just good. like the confidence that your own forehead is like stronger than the sort of bones that help people like remain upright and generally like ambient <laughs> is uh, is pretty good. Um, misses a Andre misses Fuck a big you, splash. Darwin. <laughs> Andre misses a big splash, which is good because the ref probably would have ended up in like the second row. Um, <laughs> Hanson misses a jumping elbow. <laughs> Just the escalation. I'm the implication is... that those physics only apply to him and no one else. <laughs> He's actually like he actually got into the the ring like remember when Sankara with the trampoline just going by boring. <laughs> <laughs> and then like the, the the ring is bathed in light and no one knows why. It's like you remember like this is a really 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 niche reference, That's but do you remember it's probably about 2009 2010 you see it on YouTube. People would make insane like um, wrestling core stunt shows, where uh, they would yes. make like like uh, and it would just be like two uh, two crash test dummies like throwing each other off eighty foot balconies <laughs> for for eighteen tables <laughs> and rolling about and all that. That is this referee. That's him. Yeah, it actually, he's he's just made of rubber. Um, so um, yeah, on on uh, the sort of sort of junkyard dog headbutts by uh, Andre. Um, Andre whips Hanson towards the ropes and then. Uh, uh, raises his leg for the big boot and misses, and then uh, Hanson hits a huge Western lariat. And my God, this this lariat, Jesus Christ! Well, that... now the thing about Stan Hanson is Stan Hanson was legitimately as blind as a bat. Oh like, yeah, like, um, he's, he's he could. I say to me, he could not see anything. Everyone says Stan Hanson was was stiff. He was. It's because he couldn't fucking see anything. Yeah, like he thought he was hitting a bit, like you know, five inches to the right. He was. He didn't know he was hitting you straight like, in the dome. The, the famous uh, match against Vader in 1990, where Vader's eye comes out of its socket. Um, like Hanson breaks Vader's nose before the match starts, just like swinging his <laughs> swinging his cowbell around, and Vader was like, "You broke my nose," and Hanson was like, "Sorry, I can't see." <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, he knocks Andre through the ropes. We get the other eighty special, which was the count out finish. Well, yeah, the, the, this lariat though, I wanted to see it. It reminded me when I seen it. It, it, it the crowd went so mental for it. It's like literally, you know how when you watch a game of football, right? Yeah. And a team is winning two one, but the team that have one goal are clearly in the momentum. They're yeah. the ones who are attacking and pressing, and they yeah. get an equaliser yeah. in the ninetieth minute. And there's like four minutes stoppage time and the crowd just are like, right, this is it, this is your moment. And they start going crazy and cheating to kind of will them on to get the other goal. That was this fucking crowd for Hansen. Yeah, like... like, Make it it, It's a horrendous (laughs) barrier. So Andre fails to beat the count, still wants to fight Hansen, comes in, clotheslines the referee, and then in what this made me absolutely howl with laughter, um, the young boys come in and they oh, all start Christ. they all start tending to the ref. Rather than trying to separate the uh the ref is thinking, you know what, the size of them, probably better leave them to it and just like going over to the ref's like, Are you are you alright? Like we know you had all your bones removed, but like um <laughs> that we can we can help you, there are methods. You you've you've got booper, you are fine. Get, you can get pipes put in this face. <laughs> You missed the reason why um, it, the referee gets shunted. Uh, what uh, was did that? Did you not see that? It's absolutely fucking shit house day from Andre. 
and when he gets knocked out uh, the crowd, he goes underneath the ring and pulls out a sus- suspiciously shonky um, elbow pads. That it's like he's not going to point, just feels the need, and he goes into the ring, and, he's, and the referee's like, "Can I check? Can I check the elbow pads?" Like, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. The elbow pad is not loaded in any way whatsoever, and the referee insists, and he's like, "Come on, let me go." And he goes, "No, honestly, whoops!" And he just like totally decks the referee, and he's gone, and he, then it just goes spirals. The, the, the young boys basically have to be <laughs> um, told to step in and separate the wrestlers when an official, who I'm pretty sure is Katsuri Shibata's dad, comes in. Yeah. <laughs> Because like I th- yeah his, his dad was a wrestler and he I think he became a ref so I think that's no, 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 no. his dad. You're, you're right. It, it it could well be. Yeah yeah absolutely. Um, he's a hunk as well. Yeah yeah after all. His father seen Andre headbutting Hanson in the arm and wincing and thinking, you know what I should probably tell my son about this about you know dangerous headbutt because <laughs> I think it may, it may do him a good stead. And then he forgot. <laughs> Oh man! Something I'm meant to tell you. Oh, what what was I meant to tell you? Oh, I can't remember. It's fine. <laughs> hey, uh, that that actually does tie in quite nicely, though. Actually, with something I was just thinking about, which is that I was just saying to George earlier, and this might surprise some of our, our listeners because of some of the things I've said about current New Japan. Um, in that it's not always for me. I'm a little bit bored of the product these days. I watched the um G1 um final from this year, uh, Kota Ibushi versus uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi. Uh, and I expected it to be good uh, because, um, despite what a lot of people think about Tanahashi, I quite I quite enjoy his work, um, and I think Kota Ibushi is a fantastic worker. And um, I thought I think it was good. I actually thought it was one of the best matches I've seen. Um, I'd, I'd go as far as to say it was one of the best matches I've ever seen. Um, and it, it probably wouldn't break into my um, my top thirty or anything like that because I think it's got a few too many things at the end, a few too many um, uh, sort of um, uh, last second kickouts that uh, I didn't really need. But Overrating the pudding. That, it, but yeah, having said that, it had a a really um, a, you know a very clear finish, right? And there's an, there's an awful lot of people that uh, are sort of down on in wrestling, that are down on um, uh, a match that doesn't finish definitively, right? Um, and I think um, if someone was to sort of um, uh, say to me, you know, uh, where would this match, Andre Hansen, rank in your in your favorite matches of all time? Uh, that's getting into sort of like uh, top uh, top ten territory, top twenty territory at least, uh, yeah. you know. And some people might think, well, why that? Why is that? It's a match that doesn't even have a proper finish, right? Um, and to me, that shouldn't it's matter. Because... It's, it's got two yeah. non finishes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's a double dose of disappointment, right? So. Like, um, to me, what that kind of uh, says is that this match, to be right, it's an example of what I always think of as, like, the equivalent of a perfect storm or that metaphor applied to wrestling, right? Yeah. The fans are hot for every single thing. Both of the guys play their roles just right. There's a genuine sense of the unstoppable force, you know, meeting the immovable object. Uh, But unlike something like, say, uh, Hogan Andre at Mania 3, right, Um, which is almost entirely pushed along by that sense of spectacle and ceremony, this is like a sweat dripping, like stacanovite equivalent, right? <laughs> so yeah. even when they're like very skillfully taking rest spots or getting air, the intensity never seems to drop. You know, that bit you just mentioned before, Hansen's bobbing about, begging for the match to restart after that closed fist. Um, Andre's, uh, you know, just acting outraged. It's just phenomenal. And the sh- yeah. even the shenanigans, right, are superbly done. And the Japanese crowd at this point, when this is happening, are just absolutely off the, you know, off the chain. They're just going I- I- insane. If anyone thinks Japanese crowds are by nature quiet, watch this, right? And as you say, if, yeah, if you on. if you want a uh, match along similar lines, which uh, doesn't uh, have a clean finish but um, sort of carries this sort of air of uh, 
of sort of frenzy and sort of wanton violence. Uh, also including Stan Hans. Very much recommend his match against uh, Terry Funk in All Japan in uh, 1983, uh, which is uh, oh, like yeah. that's a really good. That that doesn't we'll talk about that either. one day. Don't worry. Yeah, that, that, that's a fantastic match. Um, what I like about him is like Hanson. Hanson's like that guy who gets chucked out of a pub, but like he's really itching uh, to fight someone. Like he leaves and then he comes back and then chucks a chair in the ring and then like exits through the crowd, presumably pying people in the face as he was. Oh yeah, he was wiping out young boys all over the place. It was great. I'm just not going to say any. I'm not going to make any of the puns I was going to do there. Um, like, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um. This match, uh, oh sorry, have you got any final thoughts? No, I just I just want to say like it was um, like yeah, go out of your way to see this. This is uh, it's not very long either. Like yeah, um, I mean the example I give like, this to me is pretty much the perfect wrestling match, and I mean this in the way that mm, I agree. You you'll have this as well, maybe. Um, you'll have your smart cat, which you know you'll watch. You know, generally New Japan stuff like you'll watch it with your wrestling fan hat on. But sometimes it's lovely to not watch your wrestling fan hat on. You know, just watch mm, you know, just watch yeah. it as if you're a non-fan. And for me, this yep. is the absolute perfect distillation of a non-fan match. A match that literally anyone could watch. You have a fucking seven foot four guy with gigantism against a guy who just chews tobacco and swings a cowbell about. It is literally the Iron Yuppie versus Dr. Hillbilly in the Springfield Grappolarium. <laughs> they're, they're participating in the Texas death match, and the one man will be on last and killed in the ring. And in Texas, it's a real yeah. sport. <laughs> and like, this is like, um, this is going to sound really weird, but I, I know what I mean. This is a sort of template I would have been taking for the world of sport wrestling, where they should yep. have been doing things like this. This sort of match is, it's, it's, Big time glitzy, not glitzy, but it's it, you know it's got this big time feel of like when you see like a mental boxing match, or you know like that fucking do hot choy UFC fight. anyone can sit down. Yes, against Cubs Swanson, anybody can sit down and watch that. Like, and they will really enjoy it because it's just getting that mass yeah. appeal. And and like I, you know. I, this is perfect TV wrestling because, again, you've got the, the non-finish, so you can set up a rematch down the line and you'll be fucking choking for the rematch because you've seen this and just been like, this has been amazing. I, I really want to see this again. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's totally. absolutely... Just, it's a classic, honestly. Yeah, it's it, it's just... It, what, what you just said, David, I completely agree with because um, the last thing I wanted to say on, on it to me was that, um, you know, um, um, as I said before, it's, it's, it's not... It's not just that it's the simple things that done well in this match, which it is, right? Um, it's as you just said, it's the building blocks. It's the very basic, most minimal idea of what it is to to have a wrestling match, right? In some senses, okay. Um, and but as well as doing that, it actually strips away all the fluff and it makes those simple things into something epic and romantic, right? Because the stature of the people that are involved. So yeah, I actually this comes very close to capturing one of my favorite impulses in like not just wrestling but actually art, right? Which is like this explosion of the everyday, or what would be in other hands mundane, and this like demonstration of how these basic building blocks of what comprise why we like this stuff. Once you remove everything else, um, is so important, right? It's like I don't really care if people think what I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm saying here is pretentious. It's like I think this kind of thing actually it helps me understand a little bit more about myself and why I like 
the kinds of stories and mythologies that I do. Mm. Um, and if an alien came down from another planet, right, and you showed them this, it would be fairly instantly graspable than why humans like this stuff. They might think it's fucking stupid or frivolous or in bad taste or vulgar or anything a lot of other humans do about wrestling, right? But they get it, right? And mm. I fucking love this match so much. It's the, brilliant. Right? The best way to describe it is it's literally a match that all three of our dads could watch and they yeah. would enjoy. Anyone can watch it. Any any time in human history, any time in any culture, anyone can watch this match. It's got universal appeal. It cuts to the core of what it is to like be in uh, stories and, and fucking performance. It's that, yeah. it's that good. It's that good. Right. So uh, moving on from uh, that uh, spectacle of uh, humanity uh, to a very different uh, type of match, one which is uh, very rewarding in different ways. So we're uh, skipping forward a year now and uh, back to a promotion we covered in uh, episodes um, 11 and 12 with the very wonderful uh, Sarah Parkin helping us out. So um, I'm I, I'm contractually obliged to uh, uh, say that as her uh, partner, although I will be saying it anyway because she uh, she's a very good, uh, very good podcaster. Um, so uh, what we're doing is. You're not, you're not, you're not emotionally uh, like obligated or anything. You're no, just, no, uh, yeah, I was going to say professionally and ethically, <laughs> I'm obligated to put her over. Yeah. Like the whole love thing is yeah. uh, incidental. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I would say you never know. She could be listening, Bill. Who are we kidding? Yeah. I mean, she is in the other room. She could probably fucking hear me now. Women don't listen to this show. <laughs> um, I mean, it. it, it Believe me, if there's if this match is on the show, she will listen to it. Uh, so we are in uh, All Japan Women's Wrestling, AJW. It's the fifth uh, of October, nineteen eighty-two, and uh, we have uh, Jaguar Yakota, who we covered in episode twelve, defending the WWWA Championship against Wendy Richter. Now, Wendy, see you at the party, Richter. <laughs> yes, uh, Wendy Richter, someone who I don't think gets her fair due either from uh, the official historiography of uh, WWE nowadays or from uh, chroniclers of this particular um, era of uh, uh, WWF, the so-called uh, Hulkamania, like rock and wrestling sort of thing, because it really was um, Wendy Richter's um, sort of, I guess, collaboration with uh, Cindy Lauper that kicked off this whole crossover between uh, wrestling and popular culture and the appearance of uh, Captain Lou Albano, uh, the, the famous wrestling manager who played uh, Cindy Lauper's dad in the Girls Just uh, Want to Have uh, Fun video, which turned into an angle between him yeah. and uh, Wendy Richter and Cindy Lauper being in uh, Wendy Richter's corner at uh, WrestleMania. Um, uh, Wendy Richter, however, being uh, apart from being a mainstay of the... Um, somewhat atrophied uh, WWF women's division at the time, although, like, it did get worse. <laughs> but uh, yes. also a very successful wrestler uh, elsewhere in the world. Um, I'm particularly thinking of her work in Puerto Rico uh, and also in uh, in uh, AJW, where she's uh, challenging for their main title uh, in this match. Um, but yeah, you never really see much of her. She never really gets mentioned, even with this uh, renewed emphasis on... Uh, on women's wrestling in uh, WWE. She was last seen on one of the uh, Raws leading up to uh, Raw 1000 when Heath Slater was doing his reverse legend killer gimmick and uh, Wendy Richter was there with an absolutely trollied Cindy Lauper. <laughs> oh, she was bent. <laughs> she was reeking. <laughs> I've, um, I've, I've heard that, um, that Cindy Lauper is forever um, kind of um, embarrassed that she was ever involved in anything to do with wrestling. Um, Didn't she and, smash like, a picture over Heath Slater's face? Yeah, yeah, I've heard that, like, literally the only reason they were able to get her to do it was because, like, you know, 
think she was battling personal demons at the time, shall we just say? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, everything they've tried to induct her into the um, the Hall of Fame, I think, several times, um, which would be on far less spurious grounds than some of the celebrities. Oh God, yeah. Um, but um, but she's she's always refused it because apparently she's um not not massively um not massively impressed that she's associated with them um, wrestling and the way she does appear, it's very much like look um I need to pay. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know. um, so um, my new Japan World subscription healed, <laughs> so I need put something in the bank. Yeah. yeah, um so um this is for the WWWA championship, which is made of the previous episode was the uh, premier uh women's title in in Joshi. Um for, formerly held by Mildred Burke, who had it for uh, nineteen years. And then so it has the legacy of you know the famous uh, American women's wrestler who um uh did so much to help uh, women's wrestling in Japan grow. And um uh, Jag is in the I think the middle of her first reign. With the uh, with the red belt, uh, she held the title for um, over seventeen hundred days in uh, the first uh, half of the eighties. Um, a reign which was uh, only broken by a twenty five day transitional reign by the Luchadora La Galactica, who then dropped the belt uh, right back to uh, Jayuikota. So she was very much undisputably the ace of the company, and uh, here she is doing the sort of time honored Japan versus America. Uh, sort of thing on which uh, Perosu was uh, originally built. Um, AJW didn't uh, certainly at this time didn't tend to use many uh, foreign wrestlers. Um, I yeah, think pro- yeah. probably, I guess just in terms of like top level talent. I mean, if you look at uh, the women's scene in America at the time, it was very much still the fabulous Moolah was in in running the show, and she was very much not in the business of putting people over other than herself. And this included in kayfabe in terms of their power level, but it also included all, uh, in terms of training them. Uh, you know, they wouldn't necessarily get trained to a a great standard because she was like, okay, I don't want them to outshine me. And uh, the Fabulous Moolah's uh, wrestling skill was uh, not high, should we say. So you didn't really get a great deal of um, top-level talent who could hang with the best of the uh, of Japanese women at the time. Um but uh, Wendy Richter was uh, certainly a very good wrestler, and uh, she uh, does well here, not just in the ring, but also in terms of uh, the personality she had. Because uh, let's talk about yeah. her fucking get-up that she... Uh, the cow- cowboy hats are all over this fucking episode. We've had Hanson, oh, and now we've got Wendy Richter. It's mate, so good. It's it, it's like walking into a particularly niche bar uh, on uh, in, in, in the queerest part of <laughs> Like there's just everyone is dressed in leather chaps. Um like this 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 is like this is the most like uh, leather like hard boy aesthetic uh, ever man and it's like it not it's it crosses both genders as well, which is nice to see at the time. Um but yeah, she comes in dressed like Terry Funk coming out in like the mid eighties. <laughs> like, um, yeah, which you know? I don't like, think was uh, it certainly wasn't her aesthetic in the uh WLUF, but no, I think it's a visual uh, uh, cue. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she is... Um, uh, it's nice to see a gaijin in Joshi being a proper heel, which she definitely is in this match, because if you if you look oh, at someone yeah. like uh, Reggie Bennett, who was the main um, foreign wrestler that AJW used in the 90s, and I remember watching... Uh, I got a DVD of one of their uh, 1995 uh, shows, one of the big ones at Budokan Hall, 
and uh, there were, I think it was Reggie Bennett versus Kyoko in a way. I hadn't really seen Reggie Bennett wrestle before. It was like, oh, big fearsome, uh, big fearsome Gaijin. And then she does her pre-match promo. I was like, oh, she seems delightful. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. there's also I'm gonna go out there and try my best and really see if I can get the one. Yeah, it's basically three. like every, <laughs> it's basically <laughs> every Gaijin that st- that uh, <laughs> that Stardom uses as well. They're all like happy to be here. And uh, they're not really trying to get uh, any level of heat, whereas uh, Wendy Richter very much goes out of her way, um, even before the bell, mouthing off in the most southern way possible. And it's gonna be my title. It, it is oh, is very much um, Booger Red Eater Undertaker. <laughs> yes. Oh, darn it now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was, yeah, it, was it, it was yeah it was really like you can totally imagine her working in puerto rico um you know now, now that you mention it because this is just like straight up like just straight into trying to get her oh eyes yeah out please of please well. huddle batteries you know? at me uh yeah, <laughs> <just told her. laughs> no. yeah. I, I, I want to need an escort to avoid stabbing <laughs> in the way. I mean, she very much leaves subtle, subtlety at the door uh, with this uh, trash talking. Just um, um, when she takes her chaps off uh, to reveal her wrestling gear, she says, and this is a verbatim quote, check out these sexy legs. She also slaps her ass um, at a fan in the front row who definitely wasn't a pervert. We can definitely <laughs> say that. Because uh, this is the 80s. Definitely. In fact, have you seen that new Virtual Pro shirt? That they yes, made? it's brilliant. Oh, my God. Virtual Pro's made a, like, um, the podcast. They make shirts from time to time. And they made a joke shirt and said, if we get, like, 10 pre-orders, we'll print this. And it just says in the front, 1980s Japanese women wrestling. And on the back, it just says, it's not for perverts anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Grey with like, the, the most bland font ever. It's not just for perverts anymore. I thought it was, it was great. Would buy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Christ, uh, this very much. I mean, I've already got an AJW one, which is basically the same. Thing. <laughs> I mean, in terms of like perviness, I think the eighties is very much fucking like didn't know how good you had it in uh, compared to say uh, you know nowadays, <laughs> for instance. Um, although maybe that's maybe I'm just looking at the past with rose tinted glasses, like those people who were like. Children used to be able to play outside so freely in the seventies, where actually just like they were all getting nonstop yeah. by the scoutmaster. <laughs> so, um... Dying of like smog poisoning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm just, I'm just imagining trying to explain to one of my students the phrasal verb nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you're welcome for that. I'm once again putting the jism in the ologism. So. Um... <laughs> onto the uh, onto the uh, the match. Um, the opening of this match, I think, um, goes some way. It's it's a really good illustration of the difference between uh, American and Japanese styles. Uh, so uh, Richter opens with an attempt at a lockup, uh, but uh, Jag is not interested in this, and Richter complains to the ref. It's like, hey, she's meant to do the lockup. That's how the match starts. That's actually um, p- particularly this more so in the nineties, but the uh, typical Joshi uh, match start is one of the participants just running up and drop kicking the other in the face as hard as uh, she possibly can there is very yeah, much not usually fight. a lengthy feeling out process they may get back to the uh, sort of chain wrestling but they usually go for a more explosive start so i think that was uh, that was interesting and uh, jag's first um her opening gambit is a monkey flip in this match yeah. so that shows the sort yeah. of immediately they establish the difference in styles between the women which is something that um, plays into the rest of the story that they tell with the match i think it's uh, it's very interesting 
I mean, you can't, you really cannot overstate just how g- gymnastically gifted Yokota your, your is in this. Like, she's doing all this, yeah. stuff. and it's not like it's not like Will Osprey ricochet, you know, like seven eighty, you know, flips or anything like that. It's just like no, it's no. just your 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 cartwheels and stuff like that, and just lots of stuff that it's just done so crisply. It's not yeah. overly flashy, yeah. but it's just done so perfect no. that. And it's stuff that looks natural when she does it as well. It doesn't feel forced yeah. or uh, in, inserted into something to get a, a reaction or or a, or a kind of like oh wow kind of noise or anything like that. It's just um it's um it's it, it makes sense. It logically makes sense that she's a young up and coming um you know um uh, prob- you know physically very able wrestler um, and therefore she will do things with a little bit more panache, but also things that are practical. Yeah, well. absolutely. Yeah. And there's but, also yeah. a sense in which she um she has to use her uh, her nouse in this because she finally agrees to a test of strength with Richter only to arm drag her out of it mm. to the outside and then fuck her yeah. into some chairs. So that's that's interesting, the way she's like, okay, I'll play your game, but I'm going to turn it into what I want to do, uh, more of a, a Joshi style. Okay. Uh, Richter mouths off again on the outside, sort of walking around chundering. This is proper proper Memphis healing. It's, uh, it's, I was, ex- uh, it's really I was expecting her to start spitting out tobacco. I'm not really lying. <laughs> she really is bugger red. Yeah. Just start getting on the microphone and slagging off Jackie Fargo. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, the um, she uh, pushes uh, Yakota through the ropes and there's a nice suplex from the uh, Avon to inside, pulled off very well. And then... Um, Pulls both Yakoda's arms while standing on her back uh, into a seated arm bar, a leg drop to the arm, and also wrenching on her fingers, uh, sort of trying to pull them out of the sockets. But uh, Jack yeah. counters into a, a head scissors. So again, we get the sense of how this match is going to go. We've got Richter working the arm, and uh, you know the the babyface using their athleticism to try and uh, work out of that. It's um it's really interesting actually in the early going of the match just how much uh yakota lets richter have considering she's the ace of the company um like richter gets nearly all the offense in the first uh in the first 10 minutes or so yeah 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 is um is is, is yakota at this point because this is 80 82 yes right yeah so she is the ace of the company at this point yeah right? i mean she's had yeah. the belt yeah. for like yeah, yeah, she's had yeah, the belt yeah, for like two yeah, years yeah, at this yeah, point yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. I always forget how I always forget. It's like yeah, she actually started wrestling in like the mid seventies or something, or like the early. She's uh, she's uh, she's still wrestling, um, <laughs> as well. Yeah, yeah she's yeah, uh, yeah. worked um about three dozen matches this year. She's uh, fifty seven, I think. Yeah, man. I've I've said this before um, on on this podcast, but I think you know outside of Terry Funk in his prime as the NWA heavyweight champion in the um in the seventies, um footage of um just more jaguar footage to make tape would be my um my number one wrestling kind of wish you know like because pretty much outside of you know a few kind of compilations that were put together by fans years ago and the stuff that we've now got on youtube and sort of various other sites it's pretty easy to watch your entire oeuvre really um from from the earlier to mid period you know like, uh, it's not there's not much of it that, that makes the tape that remains yeah anymore, you know I just wanted to mention this point because I wanted to ask you about this um, before I forget. And there was two people I noticed in the background in this match that really interested me. Do you know who the person that was? It was out on the outside. It was a man in a purple mask. It looked. It looked like it was a man. It was a one of the. You know how you get like the young lions and stuff. Yeah, like that? yeah. 
Oh, oh yeah. But it, they were in like full costume oh, no, and yeah. there was a purple mask. Do you yeah, know I, know. I, I don't know who that was. Yeah. Um, the other person that was on, on the commentary or like an announcer, there's a guy there who looks like the coolest man alive. He looks like, <laughs> he, looks like he plays in the Yellow Magic Orchestra or like some weird indie jazz fusion band from the 80s. He's got like a, a polo neck grey sweater and he, he's got like cool like rimmed glasses and I thought that man yeah. definitely plays bass on like some incredible avant-garde record and probably contributed yeah. to the ISS soundtrack as well because that's what Japan is like. <laughs> on, on, on his like day yeah. off. <laughs> he probably knows Ryuchi Sakamoto by like first name terms. Just calls him R. Just calls him R. R. Sax. Actually, including uh, also the people in the tracksuits, um, there is a, a really star-sturdy collection of young lions uh, on the outside in this match. I actually think all promotions should have all the seconds need uh, tracksuits with their names on the back. Because like, I think that's just an inherently cool yeah, I thing. Think so. It'd certainly be helpful when you record the podcast <laughs> yeah, later. It really is. Um, so we had um, Dump Matsumoto, uh, Chikasa Nagayo and the Jumping Bomb Angels and these are just the ones uh, I managed to uh, identify yeah. through their names They're like it's uh, just really makes you um, realise the, the talent that they had uh, in the company at that time you get quite a good shot of Dump at the start because she, she comes out with one of them I can't remember who it is but she's actually right at the front and kind of pushing you know, the, the, the job of the, uh, the, the main kind of um, uh, young boy or girl to kind of push out Push out the way the uh, the audience yeah. and the photographers and yeah. stuff. You get a good shot of her going past doing that. She's got a, a tiny bit of dye in her hair, but it's not quite. It's, you know, it's it's not not there yet. Yeah. So um, when we're so the next part of the match is um, uh, yeah, Victor sort of taking control really. There's a drop kick, body slam, knee drop. Basically, just a sequence of moves. Just she's basically just trying to gradually wear. Uh, her opponent down, got a big boot, a great Carly choke, standing splash, um, headlock with uh, a big swing, which is uh, 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 pretty cool, just sort of uh, hauling around by her neck. Then there's a rather oh, funny moment. There's a rather funny moment when she puts her foot on uh, Yokota's throat and sort of poses in an attempt to get heat, but the crowd sort of mostly seem impressed and applaud her, which is uh, like, yeah. yes, you have you have uh, bested our uh, hero, and we, we admire your pluck, young lady. Um, yeah. it's, it's basically like how um, the Destroyer could like never get booed after he beat Rikidozan, because um, it was the idea was, are oh, they going to really resent this guy because he uh, beat our hero and no one ever done... Uh, no one ever done that before, and uh, but mostly people were like, oh, veritably he is a uh, fierce competitor and someone to be admired." <laughs> um, so I thought that was quite funny. Um, then there's like they sort of, although Richter is in control, they pepper the hope spots uh, in like really well, just to give you a little taste of uh, what's to come. So um, like uh, Jag gets a victory roll and a series of uh, drop kicks, and she's really throwing these drop kicks out. The pace is far far quicker when Yakota is the one dealing out the offence than when yeah. Richter is, which is what you want, really. You want to sort of uh, give the crowd a little taste of the excitement that they're going to feel when the babyface uh, makes their comeback. Um, and then we've got some proper good shithouse uh, uh, heel stuff as well, uh, choking Yakota against the bottom rope. Sneaky little closed fist punch, you know, when they've got them in the headlock and they just sort of pop them with one and then deny that they've done it. Yeah. Like, yeah, the sort of thing Luthez used to do um, quite a lot. Yakota... She's very screamy in this. She she's very vocal. Whereas Richter 
Rector has her moments. She's you no know, shit talking in the crowd and stuff. In fact, there's a moment where I think they're in a, a figure four, and she like gets to the ropes. And did you remember that Suzuki Okada match from last year? And there was a moment where like Suzuki yeah. got caught in the ropes, and he like he was getting counted out, and he actually went to the referee and says, "I can't get free. You need to let me." And then yeah. to like open it, open his legs to like get him out. Yeah, he did that in this. But when I, they were doing it, I like that match so much more than everyone else. Yeah, like loads of other people didn't like that match much. I Have you ever seen um, Les Kellett versus Johnny Cheslaw from uh, World of Sport, yeah. where they do a spot where Kellett's got him in the figure four, and then the bell goes for the end of the round, and they can't yeah. untag with them, and it hurts them every time they yeah, try, yeah, so they just have to like yeah. <laughs> start the next round because they can't untangle them. Oh, um, because uh, uh, when they, when they try to untangle her, it's so funny. It's like as if you um, like as if you like maybe say like broke your finger and they were trying to move it because you're going ah wah 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 <laughs> yeah like <laughs> there's, there's some there's some really good st- stuff along those lines in this match actually like there's um uh there's a it's just little things but it's little things that really just um yeah, the sort of things Jake the Snake used to do when it's just like um just like you're always thinking at one point okay how am I going to make them hate me what little shortcuts can I take so um there's yeah. um two points at which uh, Yakoda tries to escape a headlock, but she can't because Richter's also got her hair. I thought that was really good. And there's also yeah. a bit where uh, she gets Yakoda in a Canadian backbreaker, and uh, but she's also like clawing at her throat while she uh, does it as well. Like it's, re- it's really horrible. Yeah, it's really vicious. The hair pulling her figure because it was a great callback because at the start of the match um, the referee goes up to Wendy and says, no hair pulling. Like, specifically remembers and then goes away. And when director pulls the referee's hair and says, yeah. "You need to tell your quota not to pull your hair, not to pull hair as well," and specifically yeah. got him and she he went, "I went, you can't pull the hair," and your quota's like, "Yeah, no, like I, I wouldn't do that." When uh, like <laughs> right, actually grabbed the referee's hair to prove this point, five ten minutes yeah, later yeah, she's yeah. pulling away fucking your quota's hair. Oh, it's fucking brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's 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 really good, and then we we get a little bit more of a um of a comeback spot we've got a um it's actually it's actually really good because Richter gets too cocky she sort of poses at the crowd when Yakoda's out of the ring and Yakoda sees an opportunity and drop kicks her in the back um then she uh lands uh she calls that the rear view uh and then she does another one and a double arm suplex and the butterfly lock um like just a little little flurry of offense uh again but uh Richter chokes her way out and uh does a bear hugger though she seems to be like hugging Jag's ass more than anything it's like, yeah, we're gonna s- the arse the, the arse hug. We all know it. Like that's where all your air is stored in yeah. your glutes. We we all know this, being uh, <laughs> yeah, shrewd true. anatomists that we are. Yeah. The, the 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 modest derriere <laughs> is is worthy of love just as much as you are I, George. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I I have a derriere with uh, you know that old quipper. A modest derriere with much to be modest about. Um, so, <laughs> actually, I think that was Churchill, the big genocide fasc. So like maybe yeah, it was Churchill. It God, was, what, Churchill. what 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 a cunt. Any Churchill fans listening, what, just what just just hill. just switch <laughs> off right now. You're slime to us. Uh, so um, <laughs> or, or or stand up by your computer and sing the national. Anthem. I don't know what you two are all reeling on about. I get a great quote and car insurance from them, and uh, they've never let me down. Yeah. They just uh, love to say, "Oh yeah." Guy, he was good. At, he was. I liked him in Ghostbusters. Uh, very very good. Um, so um. Yeah, we've got some brawling on the outside now, and uh, Jag fucks Richter into the chairs again. Um, then there was a little bit which I found quite interesting because 
Uh, Jag gets back in the ring and she's waiting for Victor to break the count uh, or to see if she can make the count. Um, you don't see that so much often nowadays. It's like trying to win by count out is seen as uh, quite a cowardly way. But if you actually look at some of the old results of like some of the big uh, matches, like um, there was uh, a, you know, some of the big New Japan matches where Inoki would beat uh, Hanson by count out on uh, quite a few occasions. It was oh, seen yeah. as a legitimate way uh, to win. And it's quite interesting how times have changed. Yeah. That was just a little something I picked up on. Yeah, no, you see that in um, yeah, in all Japan later on as well. You see, Baba let as well later on. Then one of the uh, there was an action in G one actually that I thought was really good for this. It was a, it was a bit more silly, but even then, like the Yano Zack Saber Junior match was literally just based entirely around them trying to count each other out, <laughs> like for tying each other up in the the ropes. And it thought it was a really really good really. Like, use of that because it's always especially in the G1 when there's always the tease there's always a one count out finish just just so that every other time you think it's going to happen yeah Yeah. it's um uh, yeah I mean I mean you can go you can go too far the other way with the whole Tamatonga shit and uh and uh and all that all that stuff um and bad fash farley um (laughs) and uh so um Getting a bit towards the end of the match, um, uh, again, great heel work. Richter pretends to shake hands, but then slaps Jag in the face. Uh, Jag counters an Irish whip with a kind of fucked up looking total world move, but they 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 style it out. Um, then we have the figure four spot that you were on about um, uh, earlier, and uh, Jag's really laying it in now. After the hold is broken, she just <laughs> stomps Richter out of the ring and then gets out and then Victor body slams her on the floor which looked really sore <laughs> yeah really did like although to be fair considering how hard the ring is um in HHW oh time, god yeah um, I mean honestly when I was younger and I used to I used to watch like Joshi from like the 80s and stuff or, or 90s that would get I'd get on tapes and stuff and like I used to think that they must have um, added a kind of um, a sound effect over the top of it because the ring to me just looked like it was made ostensibly of wood. Um, like that there wasn't any pads there. Um, does anyone know what the reason? Because I always feel like the, the 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 Joshi promotions always had like ostensibly much much harder rings, like harder um, mats down there. Or is that I, just me? I don't know. Like it's. Um, I mean, there might I even mean, be. I, I would. I would say that obviously I think one of the problems is that like Joshi promotions, a lot of the Joshi promotions we watch are from uh like no eighties, nineties when everyone had really fucking solid rings. Even like the WWF it was like fucking, you know, it was like that uh BJW concrete match <laughs> like every fucking night. Uh it's only been in like the last twenty years that they've actually got round to having, you know, mats that won't penalise you. I mean, the 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 ring might even be harder than you think because uh, I mean, the women that are getting slammed onto it to make those noises do not weigh very much. No, no, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the thing that really freaks me out about it is it's like they're not, you know, they're not, um, they're not sort of um, huge women by any stretch. Of the no, no, like, you know, like so to make that noise, the impact must be. Yeah, on, and um, even the bigger women that they would have, like Dump Matsumoto, like aren't huge in the grand scheme of things when you compare them to you. Know, yeah, you know, oh, yeah. Hanson and Andre, for instance. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, I like the the fact that towards the end of this match, um, although Richter's had the um, uh, the a lot of their early going, it really does come out as a uh, convincing win. 
for Yakota. She does her equivalent of hawking up, which uh, this is Joshi hawking up. So it basically involves uh, bridging out of uh, out of pins at one. Uh, oh, the but, triple uh, bridge, yeah, yeah, it's, triple it's, Joshi uh, bridge. It's really good, and uh, she uh, so you know, uh, hits the airplane spin, body sign. Then she does a sort of it's kind of like an Americana, but she gets up on Richter's shoulder. Oh, it's uh, amazing! She's doing, and then sort of like uh, uses her weight to sort of pull her down onto the mat. Never seen that before. Very, very cool stuff. And yeah. um, Victor goes for her big move, which the leg drop from the second rope misses that. And then, then we get some really like nutty shit with um, uh, not like the one I did last night, but um, uh, so um, missile drop kick from Jag sends Victor to the apron. Another drop kick sends her outside, and the seconds then hold Victor in place. Which I thought was very funny. And then uh, you. Yakota yeah. does a sort of front handspring into a suicide dive. Like I'm, I'm absolutely shocked. I've never seen Will Ospreay do that. Yeah. Like staggered. Yeah. I, I also love the fact that the uh, the front flip is so unnecessarily actually slows her momentum more than anything. <laughs> but like, <laughs> it's just one of these little icing on the cake things. And for 1982, yeah. it's just staggering athleticism uh, for a pro wrestler to have. Oh yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, and it um, like, you know. that uh, again, just. Really good way to uh, work a suicide dive into the match. Leads directly into the finish. Richter just gets rolled back into the ring and the pile driver, one, two, three, and that's uh, and that's your lot. And then um, Yokota is presented with a big bulbous trophy. I don't think it seems quite cruel to expect. Yeah. Like, she's just, like, she's probably knackered. She's wrestled like a 20-minute match. Like, no, use your aching yeah. arms to lift this trophy, which is as big as you. Oh, I, I, yeah. Is, is there anything better than... Uh, Joshi wrestling's before and after the matches where at the start they all get given flowers of course they did um, and then they had the massive trophy and the blankety blank checkbook and pen um, yes. I love it so much it's so so good yeah I love any instance in which a massive check is presented to anyone, an oversized check is presented to I'm anyone. convinced Stardom only have one trophy and they just use because it's always the same trophy. It always looks the same. I I just think they have one and recycle it, and it just comes out several times a show. Wouldn't surprise me. I, I wouldn't even notice to be honest. I'm that unobservant. Like that, it would not surprise me. I mean, you watch as much Stardom as I do. Like you just you just end up noticing uh, the, noticing these things. Um. So uh, yeah, that was uh that was that match. Like, uh, what what did we think of it? Um. I I thought it was very interesting because this. I mean. Ideally, I mean, I, I was I was going to look up uh, Wendy Richter to kind of verify this, but she kind of apart from the shit talking, that it was it was very all over the place. But because I mean, like basically, Wendy Richter did a Vader match here, like in terms <laughs> of like she was a total monster heel, yeah. and like she was totally throwing, you know, just throw um, you know, throwing her about, swinging her about with you know the fucking uh, the headlock and all that. It was she clearly had a physical dominance over Jagger Yokota. Now, Wendy Rickers like fucking twelve stone. She's not she's not a massive hulking beast, but she she was working this as like a fucking massive hulking beast, and it, it, it was really interesting to see that to see someone like her work. You know, your your like in a way your typical Gaijin match because most Gaijin that turn up, especially around about. You know, these sort of times are big, huge hulking beasts that, you know, just do, like mow everyone down, your Vaders and your all yeah. and all that. But it was mm. Wendy Richter who was doing it instead. It was, 
yeah, it was it was it was a much different heel performance to what you would have got out of someone like Borna Kano and uh, Matsumoto. It's like I said, it was quite um, it was quite classic sort of southern heel sort of uh, psychology that you would uh, get in America. You know, the uh, trash talking, the stalling on the outside. There was less in the way of uh, wanton destruction as you might have from the atrocious alliance people, and uh, more sort of um, I guess calculated brutality really. Um, Working it more as a sporting contest, using a variety of uh, different wrestling holds. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the thing I liked about this is that Richter worked this match as if she was six foot eight when she was actually only five foot eight. <laughs> yes. If that makes sense. And like, even yeah. in Yokota, like the other thing about it is Yokota wasn't your fucking Chaparita Asahi getting her nose broken and raw. You know, like she was going for it, and she was like, she even though like Richter had a physical dominance over. Yokota wasn't sitting there going, I'm not fucking, you know, I'm just going to take all the, these moves and just go, uh, get launched about. Because she gave as good as she got. I mean, she was throwing Richter into the chairs and all that and just doing all this mad shit as well. So it was kind of like, I think a, a good archetype would be like, for example, if you saw like a, a, a four pillars match against Vader, but maybe like, you know, down the line after Vader's beaten them, like when they come to the second and the third match, when like Misawa or Kabashi or something like that have kind of got to that power level where they know they can take Vader head on, if you understand what I mean, yeah, and they're getting yeah. as good as you know they're taking it. So no, I, I, it was very interesting like to see when because I I'm very limited in Wendy Richter, but this is not the sort of match I expected to see. I mean, certainly if you watch like any of our WWF stuff, I I don't necessarily think this is the case. Couple it with all the trash talking and her slapping her arse and, and the, the chaps and the hat. It's quite the package. It, it really is. Like, is it, is, is it yeah. on the level of uh, Yokota's matches with like Devil Messiah or Lioness Asuka? No, but like, I think it's, um, I think it's a, it's a good match. And yeah, it's, it's really interesting to see uh, the clashing styles and uh, the sort of interplay between the, the Joshi style and the U S heel style. So yeah, I thought it was a, uh, Really good, like yeah, yeah. Check check it out, like it's um, uh, it, it's well worth I mean, your time. Yeah, I mean, I think for for me, it's like it's one of those things where I'm kind of I'm a little bit wary about giving these kind of matches too much praise, just because if I think of um, you know, I think I think it has um a historical and certainly uh, a kind of stylistic um interest for a lot of people. If you're particularly into this period of wrestling, if you're a big Jag fan, if you're a big um fan of like um, um, um women's wrestling in, in general and its evolution it's something that's it's it's good to watch but i do sometimes think that often people can kind of um there can be a lot of hyperbole around um around, around sort of uh, matches these days and honestly i do think that most people that are coming into this fresh wouldn't wouldn't think much of it and i'm not saying that i think that it was a bad match or anything like that but um i think it's interesting more than it is particularly um notable um, uh, yeah. to be honest it's certainly interesting for yeah. a project like ours yeah. um, I think yeah. you'd get something out of it if you watched it but you would need to have quite a specific set of tastes I think that not all sort of modern fandoms would, would necessarily adhere to or, 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 or find themselves represented in uh, but I certainly found it very interesting I didn't think it was a great match I'll be honest um, again uh, Wendy Richter has been slightly overlooked but again I, I think she's probably in the history of wrestling, I think she's probably generally considered to be what she was, which was a competent, decent worker um, at a time when 
standards um, across the board uh, for um, women's wrestling outside of Japan weren't what they were no. in Japan. Uh, that's how I. That's that. That's me being uncharacteristically kind of very. No, I, I think I. I no, I. I think you're right. But uh, I thought it was good just because Wendy Richter, I, like I say, is an overlooked figure in this whole uh, yeah. in this whole era. And um, you know, yeah. Do, yeah, it's cool to see her hanging with. Yeah, the exactly. Ever, um, so um, moving on, we're uh, so for our next match, we're jumping forward um, quite a bit in time. We're jumping forward to the thirteenth uh, of April, nineteen ninety, for a show called uh, the Wrestling Summit. Now, what the Wrestling Summit was, was a um, co-production. Now, the WWF um, had had a working agreement with uh, New Japan um, for a number of years and had even created belts uh, for use in New Japan, such as the uh, WWF Junior Heavyweight Championship, which was used by um, Tatsumi Fujinami, and the WWF World Martial Arts Championship, which was uh, monopolized by uh, Inoki for... uh, all but a month or so of its uh, its existence, because you know, in 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 Okigana, in Oak. Um, this was uh, actually a uh, show at the Tokyo Dome. Um, attendance about fifty three thousand. Uh, a co-production of the WWF, All Japan, and New Japan. Um, and there's some really interesting um stuff on this card. Um, it's quite aside from the the matches from it that we're going to do. I was going to mention. Uh, do you know the story about the name of this show? Um, I don't actually. Would you like to uh, elaborate? So, I mean, the, the Wrestling Summit is a fantastic fucking name. It just sounds like, you know, people... Like, it just sounds like the UN or it sounds like the G20. You know, like, it sounds like you should be held in an alpine ski resort. That's all I'm saying. But um, when this was announced, um, WWF done a whole bunch of promotion for it. And like, what they did is they sent... They did. They drafted up loads of like posters and advertisements and all that, and they sent it on to Japan for like you know, uh, old Japan to, um, you know, plaster everywhere, and um, because it was it was mainly Giant Baba's con- concern. He was he was I think one of the main figureheads behind this, and they listed everything as a WWF AJPW Super Show, and Baba was furious, and he was like, no, we don't do shows. We do summits. <laughs> this is not a show. This is a summit. And he was like, absolutely <laughs> apoplectic with rage, sending the boys around in balaclavas, not to uh, sit out against the man. But like, yeah, no, like they they had a total argument. A giant Baba and Vincent loggerheads because one thought it was a show and the other thought it was a summit. That's very funny. I can't imagine giant Baba apoplectic with uh, Why can't it be rage both? about anything. Yeah, I mean, if you look looking at the card for this, it's um, New, New Japan. Shit. New Japan involvement was much less than the All Japan involvement on the card. Uh, we had a, there was a Liger match against Akira Nagami, and there was um, an IWGP Tag Title match. Uh, it was, uh, Masa Saito and Shinya Hashimoto versus Masahiro Chono and Riki Choshu, which sounds very good, um, although it probably wasn't. Um, and neither of these matches made tape, so if you actually uh, watch the show, and you can find it on VO. Uh, which is where we watched it in fucking uh, 144p potato quality. Um, it's just <laughs> it's just the uh, all Japan and um, uh, WWF matches. But we have. Um, if I was ta- if I was trade taping, I would read this video quality as VG because I'm a massive fucking scammer. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, what we- only played it once. Only played it once. <laughs> I, I mean, this card includes um, so uh, Kenta Kabashi and Masanobu Fuchi versus. Tito Santana and Murderfly Jimmy Snooker. Um, <laughs> uh, the Great Kabuki over Greg Valentine. 
Do you know who refereed that match between Kabashi and all the others? No. None other than Shane Stevens. Oh my god, the prodigal son himself? This is literally the only time Shane McMahon and Kit the Kabashi ever shared a ring. <laughs> Amazing. We've got, there was a few old WWF matches on the card where we had Jake Roberts against uh, Big Boss Man. But we also had some like interesting uh, crossover matches. Um, we had uh, Mr. Perfect and Rick Martel against uh, Jumbo, Saruta and Haku, which is uh, quite the tag team. Um, Temu versus Macho Man. Yeah. Uh, which is like a big yeah. marquee match. Um, uh, Demolition versus uh, Andre the Giant and Giant Barber. And uh, I mean, Jesus Christ, you think uh, Andre was immobile in 1987? Try 1990. I mean, 48-year-old Giant Barber was carrying that team work rate-wise. Although Barber was actually yeah, really good in tag uh, matches up until sure. about 1995. He had some absolute bangers. Um, yeah. Tagging with he Hanson had that, that um, it, There's that great match um, not long before this show, actually, in, in 89 at the Real World Tag League. Um, him, uh, Barber, Rusha Kimura, uh, Tenaru, and um, other, who's, the, who's the fourth person? That um, was it Yoshiaki Yatsu or someone uh, someone like what's that? Was it Fujinami, was it? No, no, that would, no, it wouldn't be uh, Fujinami. Yeah. Um the, the 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 main event is notable, um although we we haven't covered it on um uh, this it's uh, Hulk Hogan versus Stan Hansen. We haven't covered it on this episode because uh we already did one Stan Hansen match and Hansen versus Andre is such a classic that it would have been a major omission yeah. for us to omit it. But uh Hogan versus Stan Hansen, I think it's Hulk Hogan's best match. Like it's just a really vicious bloody brawl. Like it's genuinely really good. Um amusingly enough the um uh it was meant to be Hogan versus Terry Gordy. Uh, in the main yeah. event, but uh, Gordy refused to do the job to Hogan, which uh, is uh, like, yeah, see how you fucking like it. Um, Good old Terry Gordy, man. I uh, love the reason Terry he Gordy. refused to do the job is because Hogan lost the title like two weeks before, and they didn't tell all Japan. Uh. So like, ho- like Gordy was actually probably sitting watching WrestleMania or something. Going, hold on, hold on a minute. I'm meant yeah. to be in a fucking yeah. championship match against yeah. this guy. Yeah. Oh, fuck this guy. I'm off. Incidentally, if our list, if our listeners, if any listeners can come up with a list of three wrestlers who look more like a dinner lady <laughs> than, uh, than Terry Gordy, then by all means do. At your um, podcast, at the ultimate poo, we will take these suggestions. Yeah, at the ultimate, at the ultimate poo on Twitter. I want your three wrestlers that look more like a dinner I'm not, lady. I'm not saying he Terry looks like Gordy. a dinner lady, but Victoria Wood wrote his promos. <laughs> Uh, um, I mean, can, yeah, can, and, all, and all he eats is and all he eats is turkey Twizzlers and beans. Actually, that, that that's probably true. That's probably that was probably true. Then, can we all agree that uh, Hogan versus Hanson was a massive fucking upgrade from Hogan versus Terry Gordy? <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I love Terry Gordy. I think that could have been a good. Match. It could have oh, yeah, been, but, but uh, given Gordy's, I mean, Gordy already was quite salty about. Um, he's already on the yeah. Dump. He's already on the yeah, warpath and. When Gordy wanted to half arse it, like it was not good. So um, I I think we definitely got a good one. And speaking of half arsing, we have someone here who Uh, would never pull their ass in a match whatsoever. Yes. Uh, Okay. So what we have for you now is um, a couple couple of matches, actually. It sounds good on paper, right, guys? (laughs) It sounds really good on paper. Like, um, yeah, the first of these two matches we are going to present for you is uh, uh, Brett the Hitman Hart versus uh, Tiger Mask 2, who yeah, you might know, uh, I think we might have mentioned it way back in uh, episode 1, 
was uh, Mitsuharu Misawa. And this was not like up and coming, still learning his craft Misawa. This is 1990. This is the very year. Yeah. That just a couple of months it's after this, um, Misawa would unmask yeah. and then have his uh, famous win over Jumbo Saruta, which really made him a superstar. And Bret Hart was already, a, he, he was already um, very experienced in wrestling by 1990. Like, uh, on on paper, you know, you've got one of the greats of, of WWF, you know, one of the person who is known as one of their greatest in-ring workers of all time, wrestling against um, you know, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, not just in Japan. If not the greatest. You know, Misawa is on the level of, yeah, it's two guys that you can easily say they're on the level of the conversation about them. And I've got my own opinions about who was the better wrestler and things like that. But they're two guys that it wouldn't be unreasonable for someone to say, the discussion is not so much about, you know, um, uh, uh, were they all time greats? It's 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 were they the best? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that, that that's that's the level of talent we're talking about when these two guys get in the ring. And uh, luckily, guys, right? They deliver a a non stop um, kind of thrill ride of um, a combination of of technical panache, um, um, storytelling uh, technique. Um, and um, brilliant, brilliant character. Yeah. Right? However, right. Okay. Look. Do not be right. All that glisters is not gold. In this case, do not be seduced by the fact that it's Bret Hart versus Mitsuharu Misawa, a match which, when I heard it had happened, I couldn't believe it. I was practically salivating at the prospect. Yes. And you... also, um, we we can probably give away the result here: Bret Hart versus Mitsuharu Misawa in a twenty-minute time limit draw. That sounds yeah, fucking yeah, brilliant. Like, it sounds fucking brilliant. Yeah, friends. This match is so dull. I mean it. It is so dull. Dog shit. It the I wouldn't say it's it isn't bad in the sense that it is incompetently performed. It is bad in the sense that it is so half-assed. And just in terms of the match they could have had, if either man had been remotely willing to like even perform to fifty percent of their potential. No, 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 no. I, I, I would. I would contest that because I thought Misawa, he pulled his ass a bit. He 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 actually gave a bit of effort. He had a modicum of fucking you know, I can be arsed because like he does some really like see the style. He does some really great arm drags and stuff like that, and he does some great like transition holds and and arm submissions like it, and it was great. And I was like, hold on, everyone says this is really half fast. I I don't see where this is coming. And then Bret Hart got an offence. And I was like, ah, right, yeah, that's why. Because uh, Misawa, Misawa teased a fucking dive to the outside where he did a spin over the fucking ropes, landed in the apron and did a, some fucking daft dive out to the outside. I was like, fucking hell. Like, I think for the time, before this is before Misawa had, had just been, like, succumbed to the drink. And, like, <laughs> yes. and, like was just yeah. on the pies and smoking 80 a day. He was, like, you know... No, fair enough. Like Misawa is possibly the greatest of all time. He's certainly in the let's say top ten. But I would say he was a, a, more the fact that he was always a heavyweight wrestler. His, it was always a like, power offense and stuff like that, and had like great suplexes and stuff like that. I don't think his high flying was necessarily as a big a factor down the line when he was having these great, you know, triple count matches and Noah matches. Certainly it, it appeared, but it was there was it was a different, you know, focus for Masawa at that point. But in this, he did things that, you know, I was like, well, fair play to him. He's doing all this. And a, and and in a fucking role he hated. 
He absolutely fucking despised being Tiger Mask. He hated it so much. It's got me at work, right? But the thing is, is it, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing, you know, this sort of stuff at work. I don't care. I hate it. But Masala, it, it, it's quite funny actually. Like uh, that, like uh, Satoru Sayama hated being Tiger Mask. Um, or like he hated it eventually he wanted to do shoot style Masawa hated being Tiger Mask uh, Tiger Mask 4 I don't know if he hates himself but he should and uh, I don't know <laughs> any of the others but yeah it seems, seems like Koji most... Kanemoto hated it as well actually <laughs> yeah basically all the canonical Tiger Masks didn't enjoy it <laughs> yeah forget Black Tiger this is the mask that really like uh, saps your uh, your life force one thing before we get into the match um, uh, just to start I, I, I very much enjoyed um uh, Brett still doing his uh, probably the most he exerted himself actually um, still giving his glasses to a fan in the front row uh, like he used to do um, I would not do that in Shinkiba first ring the, the sunglasses would end up in a come tribute video on X Hamster within 24 hours Oh, God. <laughs> oh my God. Um, I mean fair play to him I mean like literally the second I started and I, I knew the result of this before um, I went into it so I was like right it's 20 minute draw People say they stall. It can't be that bad, can it? And then the bell ring, and then Bret Hart just left the ring. And he just <laughs> yes. gave his glasses. I was like, all right, so that, that that's how we're working this, is it? The bell rings, and you literally just fuck off out the ring to burn 45 seconds or a minute of this match. Like, it takes about a minute for a lock-up because he's just away giving his glasses to someone. And it's like... I can see, I can read between the lines here. I, I can see where this is going. The, 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 there's basically the two the two instances of this happening that I can think of, like the person giving away their merch um, while the match is happening just right at the start, is Bret Hart in this match and Jeff Hardy at Victory Road 2011 when oh he was God. absolutely off his face on drugs. Oh, God. <laughs> um, like... Um, I mean, the early going, like you say, we've got some uh, some arm drags by uh, Misawa, and it is the usual sort of dive fake out where he sort of ends up on the apron and backflips his way in. That's just yeah. um, really nice sort of uh, stuff. However, I, I'm going to sort of be a bit harsh on Misawa than you, David, because, like, yeah, there were some, like, cool junior heavyweight stuff like arm drags, but when the pace slowed, very often it was Misawa was the one responsible, like, okay, we'll do a couple of arm drags, but then he'll hold on an arm, an arm lock for, like, a minute. Yeah. There's there's a few things I wanted to say about, about this, because it's a weird match, this one, to try and work out exactly... I think sometimes... Part of this is to do with it's just two guys working each other in a volume, in, in a vacuum, sorry, in a volume, in a vacuum, right? Um, where there's not an, an, an evil, an awful lot for either of them to kind of hold on to in terms of um, wh- where do we take this now? Now, Brett as well, if you've ever um, read any anything that he's written, if, if you've ever read um, the the, uh, the Citizen Kane of, um, or the Santango of um, wrestling uh, bi- or biographies, which is uh, his, um, it's it, he actually makes a point whenever he talks about having worked in Japan that Brett doesn't really get Japanese wrestling, um, and he doesn't really get Japanese crowds. He gets individual Japanese wrestlers who come over to work in in the states or whatever. But most of the praise that he tends to give does tend to be for um, Japanese wrestlers that were kind of a little bit more um, um, kind of Americanized in, in in their style of work, or maybe reflect the kind of slightly more old school. Style than than certainly the one that Masawa does. At a, bit razzle, dazzle. Um, a bit more razzle dazzle. A bit more razzle dazzle. And um, he um, 
he, he you know, in, in the book, he famously says, you know, um, which is like entry level um, 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 kind of like um, um, falsehood about uh, uh, Japanese wrestling fandom, which is that um, the, the crowds are all really quiet all the time. Um, it's like, nah, Brett, if you work like this, <laughs> uh, but like, um, but, but the whole point of it is, is that actually, it, and everyone thinks this when you first start watching it, and probably when you first start performing there, if you're a wrestler, you probably think, well, God, they're a bit quiet. But actually, we 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 know once we begin to get into it that actually at, at, at their crescendo, at their peak, Japanese wrestling fans are louder than any other fans. Oh yeah, there. absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's insane. But it's about building things, and there are certain things they're conditioned to to cheer for, and certain things they're not. And a lot of the time, it's actually about paying attention and being respectful to, to the match. You know, but Brett in his book constantly misreads this as them not being into matches or them sitting on their hands, so to speak. So I'm not sure he understands how to work Japanese. He literally crowd, worked in WCW for hot, fucking hot. three years, and he's complaining about Japanese know. fans sitting on their asses. You know, yeah, yeah, I mean. But he's he's one of those he's one of those guys that just he, there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of that about Brett in the sense that he's a very forthright single-minded person with an idea of what good wrestling is and what it isn't and I actually respect that because I think people that have a kind of ideology um that they can that they can put into the the, the art that they create um uh, and give themselves those kind of like um their own metric for success and not not somebody else's is actually quite a good thing to it, be as a person. Yeah. I mean, a lot of ways, but it doesn't always really work. Um, um, I, I think when you apply it to something like this, because it's almost like watching guys. Uh, I think Brett's almost wanting to wrestle a different match um, than than the one that is here. He says similar things in his book about um, about you know um, other territories he's worked in as well. Memphis, he doesn't get Memphis at all. He just thinks it's absolutely like the, the stupidest thing he's ever seen in his life. Which, of course, on one level, it is. But that's uh, the point. That's also yeah. the point. Yeah, w- within its own universe, yes, it is goofy when Bill Dundee chucks the powder in, uh, you know, King's eye. But that's the point. That that's the that's the, the comic book universe that Memphis wrestling inhabits, and you have to be able to adapt to that, you know. And as the son of someone who um, forged his own territory, um, you, you'd think it's something that, that Brett would kind of get more. But I don't think he does, and I'm I'm not sure whether it's just that he was having a terrible off day here. Or if that's a, a product of, of that kind of lack of um, understanding of the culture, but anyone will know who's seen a Bret Hart house match um, from his peak periods. This was not a guy that was, um, you know, uh, that, that it was unknown to be uh, for, for to be lazy in, in in matches. Yeah, I was like the crowd. The crowd don't. Uh, the crowd aren't particularly re- reacting, but like, yeah, it's like you say. If you do, you know, people still come out with this shit on Twitter all the time about the quite respectful Japanese crowd and like it's like it's it they attack themselves to the situation if there's loads of like really impressive moves and like a crescendo building and finish they'll go absolutely uh, mental for it if it's the mat wrestling yeah they'll they'll sort of react to it as you do as like a world of sport crowd might when you're just you're just letting the action watch over you you're applauding the uh reversals and uh stuff like that you wouldn't get someone um playing Othello coming off stage uh, and just going, I don't have to say, there's not much of a buzz in the uh, in the room tonight, is there? Like, how's my blackface? Good, right on we go. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just it's weird. It's weird. The, the, the whole match is weird, though. It's a, it's a strange match. This it really is. There's it, nothing seems to launch off as you would expect. I think the general accepted the line on this match because and I've been looking at reviews and stuff like that. The general accepted line is that they always say that Brett was essentially he was told it was going to be a draw and I think in his mind he thought he had longer so he's like alright alright 60 minutes yeah sure no bother 
and then he's worked a 60-minute draw match and then realised after 20 minutes he went to a time limit. I think that's wrong, right? Because I think that's people trying to overcompensate for Brett and trying to placate, placate them the fact that he just could not be no, fucking that, arsed. That sounds, like, that sounds like fucking horseshit. It's the fourth match on the show and there's like nine more matches I to know. go. It's like, it's just a... stick a night. Yeah, let's just uh, stick a 60-minute draw in the mid-card. Yeah, that, that's like, what the fuck are these people on? I mean, the fact that, like, you know, like, clearly, it's clearly stated at the start this match is a 20-minute time limit. And it's like, you know, clearly at that point where he would have went out and heard it was a 20-minute time limit, even if he thought he had longer, surely at that point he would have thought, right, maybe I can move it move it up a bit and, you know, have work a faster pace. I yeah. I have I have several issues with Bret Hart. And, and this is kind of endemic of those. And that much similar to what he said about Wendy Richter, Bret Hart can have very good matches. I'm not disputing that. You've got your matches with Austin. You've got your match with... Uh, oh, fuck, what's the one I'm thinking of? Owen, the Bulldog match. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, and like at that time, he was he is a good worker, and I'm not disputing that. But Bret Hart, fuck me, man. He's, he can be so boring. And I don't ever... I think I've mentioned him like four times already, but Virtual Pros hit the nail on the head. No one ever watches Bret Hart matches for leisure. It just does. People don't do it. Because this is true. They'll watch how it show. Man, he'll be on it. There's a lot of wrestlers I could say that. But you, won't, yeah, you, you won't go. You know what I watch? I watch that 60 minute draw at WrestleMania 12. No, nobody's fucking doing that. Oh. It's not fucking happening. Like, it's so dull. Oh. And like. Oh, the- God awful cage match with Owen that gets all the hype, which is awful. <laughs> it's that is really overrated. Like Big Dave gave that uh, five stars, and he's like given that to like, even still single figures of like. Oh, Big Dave doesn't know what he's fucking. Well, no, about. he doesn't. Like <laughs> so, either socially or in wrestling. No. Um, no. I like the I like the I like Corey Graves dig on um on Raw this week when the, no well, SmackDown was it yeah, what did SmackDown when the Iconics came out. And he just said, well, as far as I'm concerned, uh, both of these women looking absolutely fantastic <laughs> today. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just fucking... Like, and it's fucking people like Dave Meltzer where it's like, Bret Hart was a good worker in an age where there was not that many good workers. So when he was a main eventer, it was, what, like 94, 95, and we were getting fucking Diesel and Mabel and fucking Savio Vega. The Undertaker, Savio Vega, yeah. all that. And it's like... And I have someone that's just so proficient at everything, smooth, does stand out. Yeah, You're right. and it's like, if he, for example, was about today... I don't think he would stand out nearly as much as he would have stood out then because he's surrounded by people who, much like him, are very talented. And I feel that the the key to a great worker is being able to read another worker and work a match on their level. So he should have been able to see the Misawa, despite the fact that he is Tiger Mask and still can't fucking find trousers to film. Like, despite that, he was still able to do, do great matches. He was still a great worker. And I think there's only, it's only so many times you can say, oh, Bret Hart's a great worker, but he can't work with Japanese guys or lucha guys or, you know, he can't work with a mobile, um, you know, fucking people. Because the whole point is, is if you're a really, really good worker, you should be able to work with lucha guys or Japanese guys 
or even in mobile guys and get something that's yeah. fucking notable yeah. out of it. What, what I will, I, I don't, yeah. A bad, a bad workman blames his tools. Yeah. And like, yeah. 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 <laughs> what I will say is that, uh, yeah, like you say, like um, uh, Bret Hart wanting to, uh, you know, read a worker. Um, I would actually say, much like a Lasno Krasno Hawkeye novel, Misawa does not want to be read. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he is making it difficult for you to read him. Um, he is. It's not just. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> it's um, yeah, like his his roundhouse kicks look. Uh, lethargic he does the he does the uh the plancher um as opposed to like the sort of more impressive uh dives that mm. he was uh doing and after the plancher you're like oh shit something's happening and um then he just sort sort of starts disinterestedly uh yeah. walking outside at uh he does a standing arm lock at one point because he's seemingly given up on yeah. even bending at the waist <laughs> i mean i think i think the thing is with masawa is that he's so he goes on to become, you know, arguably the greatest wrestler that ever lived. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's, it, I think a lot of people project a little bit too much onto some Tiger Mask 2 matches that I've seen. Um, I, I've, I've mentioned this before, but the mystifyingly highly rated um, match against Kuniaki Kobayashi. Um, oh, God, that is, that is three, and a, three and a quarter stars at best. Which I've never really understood the appeal of. Um, and to be honest, um, I've never really seen many Tiger Mask 2 matches that I've thought were all that great. I think it's difficult for people to conceive of the fact that Misawa went from being a pretty average guy on the roster in terms of, 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 of matches and work rate and kind of outcome to just all of a sudden, not overnight, but pretty bloody quickly, becoming on realizing that he had this incredible natural gift and talent and would go on to be one of the best ever. Sometimes that's just the way it works. Some things are unexpected. You can't always find antecedents for every form of greatness. Some things do just one day you wake up and you are just a different person, you know? Um, it's, you know I think, so I think there's a lot of that. As and well. you also have to take into account the fact that, I mean, Misawa, I mean, I play a lot of Magic Gathering. I can, pro- I can probably say that with those ill-fitting trousers, I've seen many Magic Gathering players bend down at the waist, and it's not a pretty sight. So I can understand why he would, would, would deign to do that, um, because it, it's not nice. I, I don't really want to see Misawa's arsehole, so... What about Josh Barnett's? Any interest in Josh Barnett's ring piece? Misawa putting the goat into Goatsy. <laughs> the second episode in a row of reference <laughs> Goatsy episode, sorry. Um... I mean, one, one, one. Uh, the best Tiger Mask two matches are uh, his debut match with La Fiera is, uh, oh, is fantastic. Great. I love that. Um, and um, some of his uh, tag stuff as well. Um, Did and... you not have some with Chris Adams as well? Am I making that up, or was that the original Tiger Mask? I seem to remember him facing Chris Adams. It was one of them. I don't know if it was Misawa. The Tiger Mask two I'm matches sure... uh, I really like are the ones that um, he's given a sort of few prestige uh, singles matches against like your Choshus and your Temryus and your Jumbos as he's coming up and he, he loses them all but he, he sort of gets some offence and you can sort of see him developing. Those are really interesting. Um this is not. And the crowd want to like it, that's the thing. There's a bit where Brett actually deigns to show a bit of personality. Like he uh there's a spot where he does a leapfrog and he holds his knee, but it was all a ruse. Um he just pretending to be hurt and he gets heat for that possibly because the crowd are shocked that uh, something actually happens and he um Goes for his five moves of doom, um, and maintains control in a slow-paced fashion. Does a bit of gloating, gets some big heat for this. It's the fucking most well. sluggish five moves of doom you've ever seen in your life, it's, as well. It like... feels like ten moves of doom. Um, let's be honest. Um, and uh, there's also just um, 
There's so many rear chin locks in this match. From uh, the rear chin lock is to Brett what the uh, the arm lock is to uh, Misawa in this match. And then weirdly, at some point, there's one rear fucking chin lock which is suddenly like a death move, and like the referee's checking on Misawa is like, oh, is he out? He raises the arm. It's like, well, Brett's doing all of this stuff like with this sort of blank expression on his face. Like, at least when John Cena does his STF, it's fucking terrible. He looks like he's trying to hurt you. Oh, don't even make me defend that again by saying that actually, if you do it in the shoot style, it actually would look a bit like that, but never mind. <laughs> the um, Then, a couple of minutes to go in this match, uh, Brett gives up on his chin lock and uh, really uh, kicking up the pace now. He locks in the feared abdominal stretch, and um, <laughs> Tiger Mask uh, does one of his own, but uh, Brett's out, and um, uh, Tiger Mask goes for the corner charge, but Brett gets his foot up, misses the second rope elbow, and... Um, Body slam from Misawa and a top rope crossbody for two. It's fair enough. Looks nice. Then um, uh, Tiger Mask two does a um, hard Irish whip into the corner and fucks Brett into the uh, into the turnbuckle pad. That somehow is enough to get two because apparently we're back in the nineteen thirties in the days of Dano O'Mahony and like hurrah for the black shirts <laughs> and um, all that stuff. <laughs> and um, the most mystifying bit. So you know, yeah, I, I like a good time limit draw. Like, you know, they, they're good. But nowadays with time limit draws, um, you get something happening at the end. Like, um, it's usually like them maybe elbowing the fuck out of each other. Like, um, just like, re- yeah, really trying to uh, grind the opponent down even uh, to the last. Even though they're not, they know they're not going to win, but they want to leave some bruises on the opponent. Or you get a bit where someone's trapped in a submission like the baby faces trying not to tap and they manage to survive or the heel manages to survive in that fashion or someone hits their finisher but they're too knackered to crawl over and the bell goes and you know they would have got the three count if only they'd had a little bit more juice left in the tank you know there's a lot of things you can do um the the finale of this uh match is uh the bell goes as uh bret hart does an irish whip yeah. and um <laughs> tiger mask do- dodges a clothesline and then the bell goes and like, <laughs> that's <what>? it reveting <laughs> It's like at the, it's like and, at the uh, end of a football match where it's like a draw and both sides are just like, ah, oh, well, we have to show, we have to put on some kind of, uh, you know, um, 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 image of effort being made here. But really, we're taking a draw. <laughs> like, you know, both these guys are just like, right, feet up in approximately five minutes. <laughs> like, so. Oh, yeah, right, like, oh, um, um, Miss Smackdown. I mean, Misawa does a crossbody after after the bell. He's like, nah, fuck it, I'm getting my shit in, brother. And then Brett's music plays for some reason, <laughs> even though it's a draw. But Brett, Brett's fucking Poundland music, like, it's the, it's the shittest version of the Heart Foundation theme tune. Like, it's so bad. Well, one of my favourite things in Stardom, actually, is um, uh, when they have a theme for uh, when it's a time limit draw. Oh, that's um, great! Like it's um, it's it's basically like it's time limit draw. It time limit draw is here. Yeah. <laughs> the original gangster made good on his promise. <laughs> oh my. Oh um, god. And then uh, then yeah, the vi- the video cuts to uh, Jake the Snake Roberts uh, bringing out his sack to dispose of this fucking match. Yeah, Jesus, really. And they're bad Oh god. The bin is not enough. This needs to go like this needs to be buried on the fucking site where they get rid of the nuclear waste. It's just it, what, what's that place where they dumped that 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 game? <laughs> what was that 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 game for the snares that they dumped millions of copies of because it was so terrible? Yeah, 
E.T. game, yeah. E.T. game, they dumped in, like, Mexico or something. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, they dug yeah. it up, and they played it, and it was shit. Right. It's like, what oh, it What the fuck did you expect? Like, it was coded in five weeks yeah. by one guy. Like, in those like, I used to, back in the day, I used to actually buy computer games, right? And you'd just buy any old shite, because you'd say, oh, I, I want to play, play it, like, try it out, see what it's like. And they let some absolute, like, stinking turds get through the net. So, like, it, it must have been really bad. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, this very much is the E.T. video game uh, of wrestling. Like, you think, oh, E.T. video game, that, that, that looks quite good on paper. And then you... You've heard so much <laughs> about it. Like, it, mu- it, mu- it must be good. Yeah, like... and, and then you yeah E.T. plus video games. Yeah, Bret Hart plus Miss Hour. It's, it's, it's a sure thing, surely. No, it's not. Like, I would say the only circumstances in which you could watch this match... If you're one of these people who won't, um, you know, if you want, if you're the sort of person who like wants fucking video proof of Donald Trump saying the N word, if you're one of those, if you want physical concrete proof before you will believe anything that you hear, then um, yeah, watch this match. Otherwise, just don't fucking bother. Consign it to the dustbin of history. <laughs> I think I think we can all second that. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so the uh, uh, second and last of the matches we're going to be covering from the, the Wrestling Summit show is a uh, match is actually for the uh, WWF Championship, and it is the, uh, the defending champion, uh, the Ultimate Warrior, defending it against the Million Dollar Man, uh, Ted DiBiase. Now, um, in terms of like uh, the Ultimate Warrior, um, I think we can say he's an example of someone they had who was a big a big deal and got really over, but didn't quite live up to the high hopes they had for him, which was basically to be the replacement for, for Hulk Hogan. Um, and um, the re- really is, but he's important enough that I felt we had to include him uh, in the episode because he's one of the guys that everyone remembers uh, from the Hulkamania era. But there uh, isn't a lot of footage of him wrestling in Japan. And by it isn't a lot of footage, he had two matches in Japan in his life. Uh, there was this one, and there was a match against uh, Sergeant Slaughter from an SWS show uh, the year after. And uh, so that's not... about that's about sixteen minutes work, probably. <laughs> if that, um, and like that, that's the long way. It could it could have been it could have been different. I think we mentioned this way back in episode six when we uh, talked about Vader. But uh, Jim Helwig, the guy behind uh, the Ultimate Warrior, was considered for the role of Vader. Uh, before it was uh, given mm. to uh, Leon White, and uh, no, no, you can't imagine anyone I else playing Vader because different history is then. I know, like because because Leon so White, firstly, anyway, think about uh, it. firstly being a far superior wrestler, and secondly, just inhabiting that role and uh, making it uh, his own. The other uh, example of uh, Ultimate Warrior nearly going to Japan was uh, I think I might have told this story uh, on episode six as well, but um, Owen Hart. Um, where he was given the Blue Blazer gimmick. He was doing the Blue Blazer gimmick in WWF and he was unhappy with the status in the company. He was thinking, I might go back to uh, New Japan. He'd been uh, one of the top guys in the junior heavyweight division there. And so he was talking about this mm. in the locker room. He was like, I-, I think I might jack it in and go back to Japan. And the Ultimate Warrior, who was also dissatisfied with his uh, place in the company, albeit which was a lot higher than Owen's, said, oh, I might come with you. And Owen, Owen very kindly said, uh, Japan isn't for everyone. <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, like obviously knowing that Warrior wouldn't be able to uh, to hack it, but uh, I mean thoughts on the Ultimate Warrior before we uh, describe this match. Oh. It's it's a complicated one. Two two very different uh, positions on this. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, as you can one. imagine. Uh, yeah, position one. He's a homophobic piece of garbage. R.I.P. Yep. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, you've um, you, you pretty much summed up position one perfectly. Yeah. Um, I think we'll all agree. See recanting on your literal death hotel bed two days before that, you know, maybe, you know, you're a nicer guy than everyone believed. It, it doesn't make up for, you know, all, all the shit. Um, no, no. You know, case we can, yeah, as we all know, famously, you can't libel the dead. Yeah, just because Ian Paisley chilled out later on in life, it doesn't mean that he wasn't a massive cunt before that. But Baba. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. Ch- Chucky you know, R. Giant Baba actually was arrested several times and put in the H-blocks for trying to assassinate Ian Paisley. <laughs> he tried to chop him to death at a rally in uh, Brumtollet one day. <laughs> so, so, that's position one. Um, uh, what, what's position two? Um, um, position two. For, so you want to go first, David? You yeah, go first. Position two is... If you are, um, you know, one of those VLs going all in, um, you probably think that uh, Warrior can't really work um, and is not a very good wrestler. I disagree. I think he was great. He has such charisma and presence about him that, you know, he ran to the, he ran to the ring like, and was a burst couch after 45 seconds, but everyone still <laughs> loved him. Like He, he was, was a smash but... marrow, a slash leak. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a melted welly. Uh, <laughs> it's like uh, Brian Alvarez uh, once said, because like when he was nine, his favorite wrestler was the Ultimate Warrior. Like, yeah, of course he was. He like wore bright colors and just ran around all the time. Made no sense. He yeah. was basically a giant nine-year-old. Of course, like he was going to be <laughs> his favorite wrestler. I am. Um, I I was obsessed with the Ultimate Warrior when I was a kid. Absolutely obsessed. There was two people I was obsessed with: Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior. I'm talking about when I was very young. Um, I mean, there was the the initial thing that got me into it was uh, Davy Boy Smith, uh, as listeners can hear on our. Third episode, or first maybe, uh, but yeah. Um, but anyway, after that, it was just really Hogan and Warrior because, as you just said, I was a kid, right? I like big, bright things that went smash, bash, fucking, you know, whatever. Like, and it was like seeing two superheroes brought to life. And to me, it was actually only when I got older, which was weird. Actually, when I was probably in my teenage years, that I realised that people used to look back on Warrior um, and say of Warrior. That his, um, you know, uh, promos were completely incomprehensible, and his character was like all over the shop, and like, what was it? It was just a guy running down the ring. Because to me, it all made perfect sense. He was the ultimate warrior. He was from outer space, as I understood from his promos. He was kind of part of an alien race sent down to Earth to be um, kind of connected to old gods or something as well, and some spaceship stuff. And, like, it all made perfect sense to me that I understood what he was trying to be in that character. Well, it, say, saying that Ultimate Warrior promos make no sense is like saying Ulysses makes no sense. It, it, it makes sense. You just have to be tuned into a particular a particular mindset. I am... Um, my relationship with Ultimate Warrior is uh, a very odd one in that I am utterly besotted and obsessed by his run in WCW. <laughs> of course you are. Honestly... I, I fucking love it so, so much because it's... Oh, the mirror shit with Hogan! The it's one so warrior nation, like, with his mad fucking coats and, like, his amazing theme tune, possibly even better than his actual WWF theme tune. Honestly, it's <laughs> so, so good because it is garbage. It's absolute fucking garbage. But I love it. I love it so much. It's just, like... like we always, you know, we always talk about, you know, the old razzle dazzle, a bit of pizzazz, a bit of showbiz. That was fucking showbiz. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, that's right. 
It was the ultimate symbol of WCW excess of just, you know that point where you're like, you get really drunk or you're on something and there's just that moment where you have one drink too many. That's the ultimate warrior and it's just an absolute symbol for a really, really fucking bad way of living that's just totally like spiraling out of control. He is... <laughs> he is he is a human ecky. Like... Yes, the, the, he's just a bunch of bad coping mechanisms, isn't he? The ultimate warrior, just a yeah. big shit ton of bad coping. He was WCW's coping mechanism, absolutely, just an absolutely fucking desperate attempt yeah. to try and cling to some sort of you know superiority and failing miserably. Um, I'm gutted he never faced Savage at Starcade. That would have been honestly, that would have just topped it off. That was my dream match for ages. For that '98 Starcade and Warrior versus Savage again, and it'll be shite. But I'm holding out. For, I'm holding out for Warrior Old Andy. <laughs> Who are you? Imagine, imagine. Glacier versus Ultimate Warrior. That's the one I wanted. <laughs> My favorite Warrior story is uh, when it's not really about any of his matches, but like um, was um, it when he was a homophobic cunt? No, no, I mean that's been that's been well documented. You don't need an allegedly for that. So, um, but when it was time no. for, uh, I went through a phase of like um, sort of around about like, twenty thirteen of like having my mates around to watch like the WWE pay per views on like a Saturday afternoon, uh, which meant uh, avoiding the results, sort of likely lad style um, all week. And I did this for WrestleMania thirty, and I actually managed to avoid all the results. And this was on where the street got broken. So I've absolutely... I wasn't on Twitter at the time. That probably helped. But like... Um, the, and, uh, but the one thing I did know about was that the Ultimate Warrior had died because someone in my office was like, uh, oh, can I tell you something about... Uh, it was about wrestling. I was like, oh, no, no, no WrestleMania. He said, oh, it's, it's not to do with the show. I was like, okay, what is it? And he told me what had happened. And then when it came time to watch the show with my mates on Saturday, uh, they showed the footage from the Hall of Fame. And my mate oh. Rob said, oh, uh, who's that? When the Ultimate Warrior was... Uh, was uh, was speaking because you know, most of the guys there didn't know jack shit about wrestling. So I explained that like, okay, he was a he was a wrestler who would, was big in like the uh, late eighties, early nineties, and uh, they uh. just inducted him into the Hall of Fame. And the next night on on their on their show, uh, he came out and did this speech saying that yeah, um, although everyone everyone dies, the things that they do will uh, live forever. And then the next <laughs> night he dropped dead of a heart attack, and my mate just went, "Yeah, it's all scripted, isn't it?" <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I will say, for the, the absolute oh piece of garbage that he is, see when his theme hit and WrestleMania all, 30, I was there, I was like Jackson at York Hall, I swear to God, I was just like, yeah! <laughs> just lost in the moment of his of his theme <laughs> tune, but yeah. Um. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so the uh, the graphics come on screen, uh, it says, <laughs> 60 minute time limit, <laughs> lol. Um, and we... Uh, we, we, we we cut to um, the Japanese Mean Gene Oakland uh, backstage, who is uh, trying to uh, get trying to get an interview. But uh, Warrior is just walking around, uh, pumping his arms and going, "Ah!" That's all you need to know, really. He is absolutely fleeing at the oh, moment. Mate. He is clearly on some amount of e. Oh. His jaw is signing on somewhere. <laughs> I'd have loved a mad shit Warrior promo to the Japanese. Yeah, he, he lives in Wick, but his jaw's signing on in fucking Penzance. It's an outrage. <laughs> it's an absolute outrage. <laughs> like, uh, I couldn't let that one pass. There was an indie show in fucking Wick quite recently. 
You weren't in Wick, were you? Were you in Wick? No, 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 no in I wasn't. There was, an indie, there was an indie show there. It was something called Caithness Pro Wrestling. I thought you said there was an idiot. No, no, well, like, presumably there are. Um, yeah, so like... There was an idiot at Wick and I was sent to sign <laughs> out. <laughs> Quick kneecapping. No, 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 must know first. Um, so, um... Oh, Baba. So, uh, then we've got, um... So, Warrior and his uh, opponent, uh... Now, I, I want to know, because uh, Ted DiBiase was... The million yen the man. The million yen man, which isn't that much. Oh, the million um, yen man. The ten grand the man. ten grand man. Because um, he was a big deal in uh, all Japan as a tag wrestler um, in like the late 80s. Yeah. He was tagging with... Uh, I think With Hanson. It might be in Hanson. It might be also Murderfly Jimmy Snooker. I think he... Uh, uh, tagged with him as well. Oh yeah, that's, um, that's right. Yeah. You see it with such conviction and ease. I yeah, love it. it's and so um, well, it's more conviction than fucking Snooker got, wasn't it? Hey, <laughs> but <laughs> um, Yeah, Snooker, Loopy, nuts are we? Welcome to the True Crime, <laughs> crime Podcast. It's called Hideous, <laughs> Hideous Fijian Murderers. The the secrets revealed. I'm Ira Glass. <laughs> 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 Or should I say the continuity of the glass? Right, so um, what I want to know is <laughs> is uh, what must the fans who knew DiBiase from All Japan have thought seeing him come out in the Million Dollar Man get-up? <laughs> it's like... It, it's like when, um, like, uh, when I went... Well, once uh, I have a friend from school who like I hadn't seen him in like 12 months and suddenly had a job doing IT for JP Morgan who was making like 50 grand a year. I was like... <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell! Like, you know, like, we were somebody who's been a big windfall. Yeah. Uh, like, like, I'm, I'm amazed. He's won a big scratch card. I'm amazed. I'm amazed. Virgil's <laughs> not out there getting his fuck yen. <laughs> but the thing, the thing is, though, is that like I um, it, it's is when I first obviously encountered um, the, the Ted DiBiase was as a young person um uh, at summer camp. No, um, in this um um um, um so sort of guys as the million dollar man, right? And um, now I'm like an older fan. I, I go back and I watch more stuff from like back in the day. My favorite Dibiase is like uh, the sort of mid South era, um, where he's being booked by uh, Bill Watts in the Rat Pack with um, uh, 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 with you know Duggan um, and uh, Matt Bourne, who's going to be Doink. And um, he has some you know incredible matches there. And he's a, the real heart of that territory. Um, you know, he's oh, uh, yeah. working on top of the, the 18 stipulation cage match with the tuxedo and the glove. Yeah, oh, yeah it's got yeah. every stipulation. Transcendent, transcendently preposterously good for what it is like why on earth has that kind of match got any right to be as good as it is it's a it's a coal miner's glove on a pole tuxedo in a cage match there's something else in there as well who leaves leaves town yes that's it so five stipulations that's it who leaves town yeah Fucking hell. That's like something you make on a computer game yourself like a fake stipulation it's the sort of stipulation as that's um if you ever looked at um if you ever looked at wrestling forum, our favourite forum in the world, uh, around about 2006, <laughs> you know how they'd always do like the fantasy booking. They would have like you know people making their own dream pay per views, so and it'd be like Chris Benoit versus Dynamite Kid versus Masawa versus Stone Cold versus yeah. you know Bruno Sammartino versus you know Jody Flesh. Sepultura versus Slayer versus Pantera. Versus, yes, yeah. in, in an inferno like TLC Hell in a Cell match, you know Royal yeah. Rumble, like those sort of. Stupid, ridiculous, overblown stipulations. Um, that's exactly what that is. Yeah. One thing to note is that um, the I don't know what the Japanese fans would make of the Ultimate Warrior. They absolutely fucking love him. Like uh, coming out oh, doing his entrance. Yeah. He must have seemed very exciting. Like he's completely unlike anything they'll have uh, they'll have seen. You see. 
like the general discourse because I read quite a few reviews and listened to podcasts and stuff like that regarding this event and I had a look and the discourse every single time it seems to be Warrior was boring as fuck the crowd didn't like him at all this is a cold dead match absolute fucking horseshit literally every single move in this match they go Warrior yeah. After every every single one about DiBiase or Warrior, it's just a punch. Warrior, punch. War every single time. Like, and like, I can't remember who it was that said this, but they um, I was reading it and they were saying that I think I think part of the appeal is obviously like, yeah, it's actually just a giant roided nine year old uh, who's really bright and running about and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But there's you know like the road warriors and that from like Japan with like, the face paint and you know yeah. the, like daft costumes and all that and the intensity that, and all that. You kind of feel that maybe that's kind of rubbed off a bit, where like the the road warriors and stuff like that, they they just see the ultimate warriors kind of a, a sort of you know, not continuation, but you know what I mean, like a sort of yeah. the next the next evolution yeah. of that. And they absolutely yeah. adore no, that, them. In this that's match. a good point. It's amazing. So so what we actually get from this match is a short, simple but logical. Uh, heel versus face thing. It starts when uh, Ted attacks while Warrior's doing his uh, pose on the top rope. And uh, DBR's offense is mostly just chops and punches uh, in the corner. And Warrior's got a fairly um, uh, limited moveset, so it's a lot of like big back body drops and uh, and scoop slams. Uh, he clotheslines DBR's to the outside and then gets up on the rope and <laughs> finishes his pose. It's like, I'm getting my, sh- I'm getting my shit in, brother. No shame. No shame, these people. Lock them up. One thing I noticed in this match I really loved, I don't think I've ever seen this before, is at the start when DiBiase attacks him, he grabs the title belt and whips him with the title yes, belt. Yes, I noticed that. That was very good. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, That's a quality old-school territories heel move, that is. Absolute degradation of the prestigious championship, the prestigious cocaine-covered championship. Yeah, cocaine-coloured fucking... Um, is, that, is that the name of your new Black Metal album? Absolute degradation <laughs> of the prestigious championship. That sounds like a Nile song. <laughs> Yeah, that's actually. Um, yeah, well, what colour was the fucking strap? Yellow at this point or something. He had the um, sort of personalised tie. But I see John Cena wasn't the first, was he? Pepto-Bismol pink. Yeah, oh, gee. <laughs> but that, I, I remember that vividly from the front of the... Yeah, <laughs> from the front of the WrestleMania 6 video because it was a warrior with the yellow um, uh, belt mm. over, I think, um, either orange or purple trunks or something. I, just, I remember that everything just seemed so bright in that era, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, we get a uh, lock-up. Uh, Warrior shoves Ted back into the corner and uh, flexes, and then they do it again. Um, one thing Warrior really did do well was test of strength spots. Um, I mean, re- the WrestleMania Six main event against Hulk Hogan, which is legitimately uh, like a really entertaining yeah, match, and which was apparently uh, put together uh, by Pat Patterson yeah. pretty much move for move. Um, there's a lot of test of strength spots, and there's also one where it really looks like uh, Warriors noshing Hogan off, which is uh, both very funny and also very ironic, considering uh... Uh, Ultimate Warriors' professed beliefs later in life. Ah. And definitely, definitely, definitely a slash fiction online. Mm. You could, that is on archive of our own. Like I, sw- I swear to God, like I don't even need to fucking check. Yeah, it's um, it, it, it it's it's not what I want to see as soon as I walk into the club, to be honest. But hey, you know, you can you can warm up to it. You can't judge people. You're there for the same reason. You just got to get on with it. You know. So uh, Ted gets a headlock and really wrenches it, but Warrior ch- chucks him off. 
uh, Ted goes for a chop and then a headlock, and they do the uh, the sort of crisscross rope running spot where one of them's going one way and they're sort of uh, perpendicular with each yeah. other and sort of uh, always missing each other. Probably the most ridiculous spot in all of wrestling, but still in this match somehow highly entertaining. Yeah, think how like ridiculous it is an Irish whip is anyway, yeah. and the fact is like just stop. Do you remember that Saturday morning slam match where like Sheamus? got Curtis Axel running through an entire I mean, commercial break because he Irish whipped him and then he just left the ring and like sat down with yeah. a drink and like he got back after the commercial and Curtis Axel was fucking yeah, nervous. just sitting there having a drink and just cut Axel like absolute fucking burst couch just yeah yeah that, that, that was amazing um, and it ends in a warrior shoulder block and uh Warrior goes for a flying shoulder block, but Ted uh, dodges more chops and punches, and a clothesline not knocks Warrior down. But we get the powerful kick out. Think, uh, think the Big Show or the Yokozuna, uh, Yokozuna at the end of uh, Royal Rumble '93, mm. uh, like where you just like use your chest to just fucking haul them off you yeah. with all you might. Uh, it's, it's very good stuff. Um, chops in the corner from Ted, and Warrior gets out a uh, snapmare and the, the the fist drop. Um, suplex to Warrior gets one. Which is just classic. Uh, I mean, Ultimate Warrior has taken a one count off five consecutive macho elbows at WrestleMania, uh, lest we forget. Yeah. <laughs> so there was that. Um, pile, pile Driver from uh, from uh, DPRC gets two. Genuinely thought Warrior was going to Mania 12 it at this point. I, I, I was gen- generally sort of horrified when that happened just because I was just like, whenever I see um, a Pile Driver applied um, um, in the old school sense, it almost makes me freak out a lot more than when I think probably more guys did get injured, like in the sort of like late eighties, nineties, early two thousands. Um, and it's because it all is, it, it doesn't look very crisp, you know, like in the, uh, no. and these aren't bad workers. Like Ted DiBiase is a very fluid, excellent worker in every respect, very, very high level uh, wrestler. Um, and even when he does it, it kind of, you know, sometimes looks like they kind of fall a bit to one side, a bit funny. Maybe the legs Yeah, the way Mick Foley used to do it. It's all yeah. a bit crumpled, and that makes it worse. It makes it more like. I mean, <laughs> I would say, like, with this, you, know, you, know, you, you see Warrior kicking it at one, and, you know, sloppily hitting a pile driver. You know, I was all right with that, but see when he countered a wrestle into a burning hammer for one, you know, it was just absolutely fucking. You know, ROH 2000, <laughs> here we come. And they went onto my blacklist for years until Warrior's incredible <laughs> comeback against Hogan at uh, NXT 2038. <laughs> <laughs> they say his incredible comeback against Orlando Jordan in Italy in 2008. Yeah. Look it up. That, <laughs> that fucking that happened. happened I oh, Christ. <laughs> it did happen. Um, yeah, the Mania 12 reference, by the way, if you haven't seen it. Um, if you hate Triple H, and I know a lot you do. Um, like, yeah, Daniel's waving at me. Hi, mate. Um, yeah, like. it's uh, tri- Triple H getting buried for the curtain call, uh, breaking kayfabe. Um, his reward is to have the pedigree absolutely no sold. Not as in like Warrior kicks out of one, as in he does the move and Warrior literally immediately it's, stands it's up. It's incredible. Like, yeah. It's hilarious. Absolutely love it. Um, so yeah, just a little side for you. Uh, what Warrior does is, uh, is uh, two moves of doom. Um, he fires up with some uh, clotheslines. And then a flying clothesline, which he does after running the ropes uh, approximately 86 times. 86 hits! Um, 86 hits! It's the it's, it's raw! And then the uh, the warrior splash gets three. And then some more posing, and that's your match. Now... You can't book a match like this. <laughs> now, the thing is, if, if I was to tell you at the start of this episode, okay, we are going to cover Mitsuharu Misawa versus Bret Hart. And we are going to cover... The Ultimate Warrior versus Ted DiBiase, and the second one is going to be the better match. You would 
probably hit stop and like delete us from your fucking iTunes uh, feed. But this is legitimately a better match yep. than uh, Misawa versus Bret Hart for the that? following reason. This match is completely logical. Everything is is pretty crisp. Like it makes sense, and it is. As good a match as you would expect it to be, whereas Misawa versus Bret Hart is a legitimate dream match that ends up being really, really dull. And yeah. and that's the thing, like, this is better because it does exactly what it says on the tin. You say, okay, Ultimate Warrior versus Ted DiBiase, it's six and a half minutes long. This is probably what it's going to be like. And it gets in, gets out, and, you know, gives the crowd what they want. Like, they're very impressed by Warrior. DiBiase does his bit well. It, I'm not saying, like, this is a, a hidden gem because it really isn't. It's kind of... You know what it is? It's like... Because um, I got Sarah the Undertaker Streak DVD um, for uh, her birthday one year. And we watched them in order. And there's some absolute dross yeah. at the start. There's, yeah. like, fucking... He's wrestling, like, uh, Murderfly and uh, Jake the Snake when he's a bit, you know, sort of off his tits. And uh, the <laughs> notorious Giant Gonzalez match. And um, and then he wrestles Diesel. And then he wrestles Diesel. And uh, I was just watching Diesel match like, oh, my God, this is so good. And so I was like, it's not really. I was like, no, 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 I know it's not. But after those uh-huh. previous matches, this is like Misawa versus Kabashi to me. <laughs> yeah. And that's basically what I got for this match. It's like, after Misawa versus Brett, and I watched them, like, uh, one after the other. Like, this was like manna from heaven. It was just a standard match that didn't outstay its welcome, didn't bore me to tears, and didn't disappoint me to my very core. Yeah. But I, I, I think that, that speaks really highly of um, Dibiase um, as well in this match, uh, because it's very subtle. Um, it's not something that you would necessarily n- notice, I think, unless you were sort of like really looking for it. Uh, but there is just so many moments in this when Dibiase... Let's Warriors' uh, character, as it is, as he's, as he's acting in in the ring, breathe, um, and he he lets it um, kind of have time to. It's it's in tune with the Japanese audiences. It's just the massive difference between him working this and Brett working this, right? Dibiase knows how to work a Japanese crowd. Brett, as we've uh, you know, um, um, uh, as we'll see in that match, he doesn't really know how to work a Japanese crowd, and he, and he confesses this a lot in interviews and things. You know, he doesn't really understand the mentality of a Japanese crowd. Dibiase does. And when he hears how much the crowd are getting on Warrior, he kind of tones down a lot of the spots that he would do it during this time, which was him being on, on top in maybe a hole for a while, really getting the crowd angry by sort of shouting stuff at them, uh, sort of mocking them, that whole thing. Um, and he does that less here, and he just seems to sort of try and rely on getting sort of bombed around by Warrior when he does in the sort of the big blocks and things and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then when he can kind of, um, you know, get getting something in. But um, uh, I feel like um, uh, we almost I almost underestimated him in what I said before. Like, to anyone that isn't sure, uh, Ted, B- Ted DiBiase is genuinely one of the, the great wrestlers, in my opinion. But, yeah, uh, there you go. Yeah, and I think yeah. the, the yeah. perfect example would be, is, you know how you see like, um, on various forums and all that, you see people who are like, why we watch a Coliseum videotape, I don't know, but oh, there was a great tag match with the Brain Busters and, you know, fucking, you know, whoever on there, and you watch it, and it's a good match. But it's not like, you know, an absolute five-star classic, but it's kind of when it's surrounded by, like, fucking Earthquake versus, you know, Giant mm-hmm. Gonzalez and all and then people are just like, you know, take take what you can get and, you know, in comparison. Yeah. It works really well. It's like when I watched Alien versus Predator after Resident Evil um, 2. <laughs> and then I really quite liked Alien vs. Predator for a while just purely because it wasn't as bad as Resident Evil 2 and I was just quite thankful that I hadn't didn't have to watch Resident Evil 2 anymore. Yeah. 
Yeah, that that's exactly it. Like, uh, yeah, like I say, this isn't uh, a match that will uh, change your life. But if you are mildly curious about what uh, an Ultimate Warrior match at the Tokyo Dome would be like, then uh, then uh, go ahead, knock yourself out. Um, so it's a perfectly functional TV match. It it could have been in Virginia. It wasn't yeah. in the Tokyo Dome, and you know it's nothing. That's yeah. not a slight. You know, perfectly functional TV matches are no. fantastic. You, Daniel, have been on this podcast before and explained about like eighties Memphis, and you know, functional TV matches mm. not necessarily being the best, but being your favourite because they kind of tap that nerve. Yeah, yeah it, 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 it certainly uh, it certainly tap, taps a nerve if, if not a vein. Uh, so that's the. Uh, Probably the uh, probably the best way to sum sum up that match. So, anyway, I'm just off to jump down the toilet and uh, get my suppositories from the bottom of it. So. <laughs> um, so that about on that on that uh, on that note, that about does it for um, uh, episode 16. Uh, we will return in episode 17 with uh, four more uh, classic. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I say classic. Involve classic wrestlers, shall we say? The matches themselves, <laughs> as in this episode, will be of uh, they will level. be of uh, variable <laughs> quality. You know, you've you've got to have your meat before you have your pudding. Um, so um, we will be back. Uh, before we do that, uh, we're going to do our uh, our plugs. So um, as as per usual, we are at. Uh, Per podcast on Twitter, getting close towards a lovely round uh, five hundred uh, followers. Uh, please replace the uh, porn Ooh. bots that are getting uh, getting cold. Uh, we we need your uh, we need your support. Um, and um, yeah, link our SoundCloud is uh, the Per Poe Podcast. And um, if you want to go to I maintain the double foot stomp is silly com. We have some uh, very nice articles. Um, you know, which are uh, uploaded periodically by uh, ourselves and uh, many of our uh, colleagues, all of whom are you know very good writers and uh, great great minds for the wrestling business um guys you've got your own uh, things to uh, foist upon our listeners well actually i've got something from me and you george um where i was going to say um if fire pro comes oh out yes soon, i want some scraps i want some online scraps with people in fire pro so or, or fifa you know i don't know but um yeah this me fire pro. um it's what is this sex? <laughs> is that, this is sex, yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, that's, that's, this is how it is. Yeah. Like, yeah. Honoured to be involved. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're actually just running a, um, a dogging circle uh, without you, Daniel. You have, <laughs> we're running different dogging circles. Uh, why wouldn't you tell me of all the yeah. people? This is so uh, it's, ju- it's just, we had to, we had to call Stan Collymore first. <laughs> Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, you know, there's beef between me and Collymore. So yeah, that's fair enough. Stan yeah. the border yes. Collymore. I'd rather be Stan Collie less. <laughs> I'm upset, A, because he scored against City back in the day when my dad took me to see them, and then also because... Um, yes, yes. Um, so, yeah, come players at uh, Fire Pro. David is uh, Viano14. I am Viano14, on, uh, yeah. On PS4. And I think I'm Stato, but I can't remember. So I'll get back. I'll get back to you on that. Maybe in episode for episode seventeen, I'll look at what my PlayStation Network handle is, and then you'll you can like uh, ban me up for some uh, matches. Um, and uh, yes, uh, we'd like to tell tell our lovely public about your musical endeavours as well. Yeah, I'll go first. Um, Fastwork.bandcamp.com. Um, Abdullah Kobayashi. Buy buy me things. Um, I I need money. Um, so yeah, do that. Um, we've done lots of weird Japanese wrestling. Uh, themed stuff. Um, also, lots of releases that have nothing to do with Japanese wrestling that aren't by me. But you know, you know, what, whatever, whatever's best for you. Um, and yeah, Daniel has some equally abrasive and awful music. 
<laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, uh, yeah, so um, you can get my music at handloomlament.bandcamp.com um, and um, if you like um, all forms of uh, kind of um, uh, social surrealism, uh, drone, um, tin can sounds, sounds of kettles, radiators, uh, oh, loads of spoken word bullshit over the top of it, uh, and really cacked out old crap synths, then check it out. Uh, if you don't, because you're a fucking like normal, well-adjusted person, um, then I suggest that you check me out on Twitter at the Ultimate Poo. Um, at the Ultimate Poo, I only um, really tweet about wrestling. There might be the odd thing uh, about something involving uh, the far left Chris, uh, the hard left Chris. Uh, but um, <laughs> no, uh, usually I feel that your Twitter has went downhill ever since you replaced your bio because uh, it used to be Matt. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I know. I tried to fit that in as well, but I felt like I, I felt like I couldn't because I felt like people just literally thought I was a troll because I had like three followers. My name was Terry Funk Soiled Gunks. I had a picture of Terry Funk, no background thing, and like I was trying to get people to follow me, and I was like, I can't do this, so I had to change it to like. And it just said, Mah! so I had to change it to fucking like. Oh, I'm the presenter of the podcast. I'm the podcast. I just change it to that. And, um, fucking nightmare. And uh, finally, from myself, I'm, uh, I'm still working on a uh, a novel called uh, The Rise and Fall of Rikidozan, which will um, uh, sort of told through the eyes of uh, my narrator as he sort of finagles his way into the murky world of Japanese wrestling in the uh, late 50s and early 60s, uh, his hero being the uh, uh, the biggest wrestling star probably of all time uh, in Japan, Rikidozan. Um, if you want to read an extract from it, uh, you can go on I maintain uh, There is an extract. If you just type uh, uh, Rise and Fall of Rikidozan into the uh, search bar, it will uh, probably come up. Make sure you've got the... Um, um, make sure you've got the Macron uh, over the uh, the little line. Uh, unlike France, like Macron is a good thing in uh, in this case. Um, and uh, you'll be able to read a little extract from the ah. novel about the uh, fateful uh, match between Rikidozan and Masahiko Kimura in uh, 1954. So um, if if you read that and uh, you think that's the sort of thing you might like, then uh, you can read uh, quite a lot more of it, um, which will hopefully be coming out by the uh, by the end of the year. Is, I've, is, I've said it now, so the, I need to make it true. Is that the Rikidozan Kimura match where Lou Fezzi's music played over the Titan Tron and like Rikidozan just turned in his <laughs> transfection and got rolled up? <laughs> <laughs> Distraction finishes. No, it's uh, no, it's the one. It's the one where Luthes was on guest commentary. Uh, and then uh, he stood up on the table and got his knob out. Uh, and then Ricky Dozen looked over and said, bloody hell, it's not like Franz Van Boyten, does it? Uh, and then he got rolled up. Luthez's Lu- entrance theme, the Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy from Company B started playing. Remember, no, Luthez's Luth theme was just the Ultimate Warriors theme. But he was chased out by someone. Just like with a stick. Do you, uh, my favourite um, Lou Fez um, moment of wrestling is when uh, Mark Madden made a joke about him on Nitro in 2000 when someone was beating up a woman and Lou Fez sued him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, go- I'm just going to say... That's so old school. I'm just going to so say, like, Lou Fez is somewhat retrograde opinions on women wrestling, uh, notwithstanding. I think we can agree Mark Madden getting sued is unequivocally, <laughs> unequivocally a very good thing. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. There's still a thread on the Wrestling Classics forum of like, Lou Fez's, like, wife, like, coming out and going, Lou Fez does not endorse women being beaten up. 
I want a full retraction, and then just like wires getting involved. It was all hilarious. Absolutely brilliant. No, 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 so, it's, just like, it's just like Dave Meltzer just going like, yeah, I mean, kind of cool, yeah, whatever, yeah, I guess, yeah, what, what, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that Lofez <laughs> is, I'm not saying that Lofez is slimmed down in his 80s, but he just looked a lot, he just looked a, a lot, a lot fitter when, in, in his 30s, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's fair enough though. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> with, yeah, with, with that, with that, uh, frankly bizarre tangent uh, ringing in your ears um, I bid you uh, adieu um, uh, we've really enjoyed uh, talking about these uh, Hulkamania matches with you we hope you've enjoyed listening to it and we'll see you again in uh, episode 17 Electric Boogaloo thank you very much I've still not got round to watching uh, Donald vs. Strathclyde and University Challenge. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, it was the... Yeah, uh, mine and George's universities against each other on University Challenge. Yeah, I, I tweeted about this and uh, Laura from uh, Real Politic uh, said, oh, no, which couldn't win to Durham? I'm never listening again. And uh, <laughs> I, I said, well, have a, have a guess whether it's the Scot or the like posh-sounding middle-class guy from the Midlands. Like, the answer will not surprise you. <laughs> Um, I have a fun anecdote. My one of my best friends at school um, applied for Durham and Oxford University just so he could get accepted and then turn them down. Very good. That's a power. <laughs> he, went, move. He, he went to Glasgow Uni. Just like he went down for the interviews. Did he, like, he shined and charmed them all? And he said, "Would you like to invite you?" And he went, "No." <laughs> he just wanted to be I, able to honestly, say. Honestly, I'm not joking. I'm not joking. I genuinely did consider that at one point. I was like, oh, I think I could. Uh, yeah, Ooh, can I swing this? The, like, and then I thought, actually, that, just that is a, energy. Actually, <laughs> the, the biggest power move I saw recently. I saw. I, I sent it this to David actually. So, um, uh, Virgil from uh, Chapo Trap House uh, had uh, tweeted. Oh. <laughs> he'd, uh, tweeted the words um, "white genocide is real" and it's extremely good. <laughs> And some and and some guy was uh, bamming him up for it, and uh, and he was like just replying to all the tweets by saying "buy the book" because they because they've got a book out. And it's like buy the book, and then the guy just slid into his DMs. Is like with all this fucking bullshit. It's like so so you're saying like you're saying you're completely okay with the uh, genocide of uh, white farmers in uh, South Africa. Is big long message, and then says I bought the book. By the way. And I'm sure that we will use a similar guerrilla marketing tactic when your book comes out, George. <laughs> new crisp update, by the way. New crisp update. Yes. Uh, I have grand crisps, right? Which look yeah. like they should be Tory crisps, right? But they're mm. not. They're actually part of the struggle. They're basically George. But 
<laughs> look and sound Tony, but they're actually not left wing. Yeah, fair. that is beautiful. That's the that, 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 that's the kind of lines that we can draw between uh, various different uh, masterworks that I think this show has become renowned for. Uh, yeah. Right. Okay. Give me a sec. D- uh, don't whistle the crisp packet on like the crisp packet is coming through really loudly on my on my earphones. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah. So don't, we don't want to be like those uh, Kevin Nash you shoots where you're just eating an entire lasagna. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Kevin, you're not chain eating lasagna, are you? <laughs> chicken lasagna. To be fair, they used to they used to they used to do chicken lasagna at uh, at That's the right. It was pretty good. I've got I've made three different types of lasagna. A lot of people think that I was ordering food, but actually I was I'm, I was actually ordering a real half and half. Ah, look at the giant salad. Giant salad. Ah. Very nice, thank you, sir. We'll have some Italian food while we do an interview. I don't like olives. Oh well. Thank you. Watch Beth Phoenix squat. One, one second, sorry, I'm just going to get my charger and then we'll I'll start. Um, oh, yeah. The back, so I'm just uh, don't want to get out of juice. All right, one second. Yeah, that's all right. Juice I'm Robinson. Ready. Just over there. <laughs> just Robinson. <laughs> making sure he doesn't run out of juice. <laughs> uh, is is just Robinson a, a pun on Robinson's looking juice? Uh. Probably not, but I think it, it, it is to me. Because <laughs> like, I'm happy to go with that. I just call his name I think just so. Robbins. Yeah, he, yeah, he yeah, just yeah, really yeah, loves yeah. black apple and black currant diluting juice. <laughs> juice Robinson, juice and the family Robinson. Uh, that could be a good marketing campaign for him. Uh, oh, here we go. Can can Let we get Cesaro? And is Cesaro ever Ben's new uh, WWE and goes to New Japan? Can we have him and Juice Robinson in a team called the Swiss Family Robinson? <laughs> yeah. Oh. oh my god. That would be very good. Uh, okay, so make it happen. Make it happen, Gado. Okay, so uh, Gado's too busy booking Ref Pro. <laughs> That's true. Okay, so um. Next category, animal and an island where it exists. Dermites? Llama in Madagascar. Not it, I'm afraid, llamas. Lima and Madagascar. Yes, you'd need... You would need two L's for llama, and I'm not entirely sure they live on Madagascar. <laughs> <laughs> the bell has gone for the end of the quiz, and I can tell you...